Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. Like he made a bunch of terrible errors that actually do speak to ethical shortcomings, like trying to get his wife to fly with him on the government dime, using his um, personal security to- At least it was his wife and not yeah. a porn star. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Our standards are so low. low. Yeah, that's all, They're yeah. falling They're a little so bit. so low. They're falling a little bit. Yeah, but you can also use uh, Secret Service to go run errands, that yeah. kind of thing. But at least he didn't send them to go shut up the woman who he'd been like yeah. having sex yeah. with in the Oval Office. Yeah, the yeah. thing is he's not Wait, Trump. Wait, that's not Trump, that's yeah. Clinton. He's not Sorry. Trump. This is some normal dude that we measure by normal he didn't, standards. He didn't punch Kathleen Willie's <laughs> we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast this is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle the people that make it occasionally ourselves not sure why i'm talking so damn fast um, I, I know this is, <laughs> i have a guess this is episode 95 give or take recorded on the evening of thursday march 28th 2018 i am camille foster doer of things doer looking things. directly at you michael moynihan cool. at a place called creepy creepy meeting program. i'm i'm sticking i'm sticking with it because it's either that or hnic and what I, Exactly. What is that? Um, oh. <laughs> oh, my God. That's I can't say that. Fellow, fellow collaborators. Oh, my um, good Lord. My fellow collaborators here. We have guests. <laughs> Matt Welch, editor-at-large of Reason Magazine, who is not here. Who's currently is at large. Apparently yeah. inbound. He's doing live television someplace in the city. And Michael Moynihan, whose voice you've already heard and whose voice you've likely heard on the uh, HBO's Vice News Tonight, where he is a national correspondent. Uh, Shout-outs to the homie Anthony Fisher, senior producer of this very fine program uh, and a contributor to all sorts of respectable publications of note. Gentlemen, how the hell are you? Minus Matt Welch. Minus, minus Matt. I'm okay. Where did we get? So let's let's just get right into this, by the way. Oh, no, no, I no. Can, me, are you sure? Let me introduce the guests before there's we talk fun, about No, I just shot. want to say that there's a mason jar which appears to be full of hobo piss. In front of <laughs> That's it's amazing. I, we can talk about it in a second. If it's hobo. If it's hobo piss, it's the most that, delicious hobo piss I've ever Are you ever drinking it? Had. It's so tasty. I want really? to mix it with the seltzer. That's so on the table. Oh my God. Let's introduce them so people yeah, know who it is. I but mean, let me tell you, it <laughs> smells. Friggin it Moynihan. smells like. Why don't you drink it? You freaking Moynihan. I'm trying to. Oh okay. my God. It so smells we, like. Uh, we do have. I mean, this is already off to such a great start. And it's probably because we started drinking the rocket it's fuel the slightly before we started recording. <laughs> uh, but joining us in the studio today are two friends. One old friend, one new friend. We have. Tom Slater, deputy editor of Spiked. I, I did say the last name correctly. I mean, yeah, it's called Spiked. And Tina, Speaking. I'm just going to say Tina Wynn, Vanity Fair, where she covers politics and the media for something called The Hive. I'm yes. sure she will give us some context on what the hell that is about. It is a pleasure to have both of you Yay. here today. So Yay. happy to be here, um, man. And lame joke, uh, and it's not what? even a joke. I just what? realized that it's TNT. Like, oh, yeah. boom, explosives. Look, wow. Oh, that yeah, was, yeah, that was way better. You got them high-fiving. <laughs> yeah. This is amazing. There's some hobo uh -huh. piss on the table. Some hobo piss on the table. Some good. Strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some I, think it's, I think it's Guy Fawkes there or something. <laughs> Tom is in the hobo piss right now. He's pickling his liver. So I should... got some twiglets, <laughs> some hula hoops. <laughs> so I really should British. say there is, of course, uh, a little bit of inebriate on the table. Um, yeah. We did have... Uh, yeah, we received a gift. We received a package at the office and I have to be rather careful about this because there is a question of 
legality here. So let's just say that a package arrived at my office yes. and it contained a jar. It just, I mean, it's just a, it's just a mason jar. It's just a mason jar. It's some sort of brown liquid. Uh, there was a letter and the letter <laughs> is, I'm not saying that it's from Mr. Drew hashtag on Twitter, but I'm no. also not saying it's not from him. Yeah. I'm not saying that he gave us uh, something that he says that is moonshine. Yeah. Right. But I'm also not Ooh. saying he didn't send it. So you get what I'm saying. In either case. So Drew sent it on the table. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we don't really know for sure what's okay. in it. I think Drew is pretty trustworthy. He has sent us yeah. things in the past. Um, and half of the jar is now empty. I, I came in I haven't had any yet, so I have a gin and tonic. Where did the gin I, come from? So Do who's that? drinking? Who's drinking the I moonshine? I am drinking. Gym. Oh, not the moonshine. Not the moonshine. That's, that's okay. second. That's oh, absolutely so wait, second. Is it just me and Fisher drinking the moonshine? I'm going to give you guys about 20 minutes to see how it pans out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> like, you know, you don't know this, Drew. Guy. I mean, this, the Russians could get you so <laughs> easily. <laughs> oh. Exactly. I'm going to start singing bluegrass. We are, <laughs> we are, we are Tom's food tasters. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to keel over, and then we'll finish the podcast on our gin. No, seriously. Seriously, though, I mean, Fisher is in serious trouble if this is, in fact, poison, because mm -hmm. I've had, I mean, this is, I barely touched it. Okay. Because I know but, but Can you tell me if you enjoy it? It tastes phenomenal. Really? Because <laughs> it, it smells, it kind of smells like maple syrup mixed with some mold wine. It smells like Sweden in, like, January. Yeah, some, exactly. It has a very Scandinavian smell to it. Is some that, sort of honey. Yeah. It's like yeah. heartening, and I want to smash a villager's head after. <laughs> Just the smell oh, of yeah. it. Just the I smell of it. I want to join a Swedish hate crime group. <laughs> <laughs> I want to join the Sweden Democrats. I was going Viking. I was going, like, I was going, like, I was going a long-ass time ago, man. Uh, Don't bring any current yeah. events into my analogy. <laughs> Tina, we all know about your hate crime crimes that you were not <laughs> prosecuted for. She was totally let off. Well, I, I do want to say, uh, Tina, it's my first time meeting you, but uh -huh. I've, I've certainly read How you. How did we get Tina on the show? Can you tell me that? Well, Fisher and, and I, we have conversations uh -huh. about people who yeah. are writing things and making stuff in journalism. I read Tina's stuff. I read yes, The Hive. Yeah, and, of course and, I do. Fisher oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I, and I even uh, mentioned, uh, it's true, mentioned The Hive the other day, mm -hmm. and it, it uh, turned out that a friend of mine who shall not be named uh, did The Hive logo. Uh, oh. It was a designer. It did, and he did that. It's a very nice typeface on the top of the hive. He? Did you say he? Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, I did say he. Um, uh, oh, that's like fifty percent of the designers yeah. in the world just. Yeah, out there. yeah, but he's yeah. I could get a little more specific, but he did the logo. Um, Vanity Fair. It was now. It's it's some change that has happened at Vanity Fair. Now we won't force you to talk about your employer because it's always uncomfortable when people make me do that because sure. my employer sometimes pops up in the news <laughs> uh, recently, um, and I've been asked uh, we don't, by we don't you know Albanian television like so what. What is going on with uh, these Mr. Shansmiths? And I was like, I don't even know who that is. What are you talking about? Yeah, we try to we try to avoid those kinds of obvious conflicts of interest, um, mainly because we don't want people to get fired, not because we, we want right. to be honest with you. That's right. I really um, appreciate we keep our that. Jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, we keep our jobs. We had Barry Weiss on the show prior to her um, recent celebrity, actually, probably right before, a couple weeks sure. before. <laughs> and we did get her to talk a little bit about her previous employer. And it's funny because she was talking about how one of the one of the reasons that she left was the creeping trumpism of the Wall Street Journal's editorial page, which we used to be a kind of, you know. Creeping. A, a cre well, not anymore. <laughs> it's a sledgehammer. Now, well, now it's just creeps. Um, and I think we talked about a few of them by name. Um, it used to be a very sort of pro-immigration uh, page, and now they've kind of, they haven't gone back on that, but they've just stopped talking about it so much. And Barry was very, very open about this stuff, and she said, well, I don't want to talk about it. Actually, we also had Ben Dreyfus. 
is a lovely guy, uh, writes for Mother mm -hmm. Jones, mm -hmm. and is the son of Richard Dreyfus. Yes. And we did talk, me too. <laughs> we yeah. Did, we did talk about, what's uh -huh. his name? What is the guy from the show? Kevin, Kevin Spacey. Spacey. Yeah. Kevin oh. Spacey, uh, because it was his brother, mm -hmm. another Dreyfus, mm -hmm. who had, had told a story about, about uh, Kevin Spacey, Kevin Spacey coming on to him when he was like 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And uh, Ben apparently <laughs> told us beforehand, do not talk about my family. I got, <laughs> I got here late. I, yeah. uh, so it, that was so not related to me. In. I, I kind of launched yeah. in. I was like, you know, I really like that Jaws movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, a Mr. Mom was I love, in there? I love Ben. Ben is, a, he's a, ben is a, officially ben is a, a member a, of the A glorious film. disaster. He's lovely. In into the lovely I love how we just had this entire section about, hey, we're not going to ask you about your employer's conflicts <laughs> of interest. Let us tell you about all the other times exactly. that we did it, just exactly. to emphasize can, can the I, situation. Tina, I want to say, to yes. be fair, we don't run that kind of shop here. Uh, I think both times we talked to the people afterwards and we're like, we cool? Everything all right? That's, mm -hmm. that's Do, true. Is there anything you don't want to totally true. Because, you know, we don't want to destroy no. people's and lives. No, and we have the power to, and I will say <laughs> yeah. explicitly, have I have definitely expunged material from this podcast. Sometimes which from you me. Will never hear. <laughs> Certainly oh, from Michael you. Moynihan. Most frequently. No, from there have been times when in this current environment, I, I'm not brave. I, let me just say that now. I'm not a brave person. I got a daughter. I, you know, have a couple of rents to pay. And, you know, she's got to live somewhere. And and so, I, you she, know, I, does she millennials? No, she, come on, I'm not that fucking old. <laughs> I don't know how you vice so, writers live. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I, I have one son. The son okay. is 34. Um, no, I, and so, like, I, I worry about some of this stuff. And I just, like, it's kind of loose talk. And it's like, I think of the most insane person Person on Twitter that I that I come across, no one in particular. Just who's the most insane person on Twitter that you've come across in the past week? How would they interpret that sort of errant word? Or and I'm like, I, I don't think I want to do it. I don't think like and I think it was just once that I said it to you actually. Yeah, it was one time when I and I don't remember what the subject it was, was. There was a few times, but it's a few okay. times really. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's usually okay. I wake up sluggish yeah. and like you know smelling a fucking moonshine. Well, you will today. Yeah, I got. I'm in Parsippany, well, New Jersey. Well, before we go too much further, um, Tom, we should talk about could real you? Shit. Yeah, we we should talk about real shit. But also, Tom, I mean, could you talk to me a little bit about Spike? Because I don't mm. know that everyone who listens will necessarily know Spiked because it is a publication from the other side of the uh, the pond there. Exactly, from the yeah. motherland as it were. Yeah. No, uh, so Spiked, yeah, we're, not, we're an online magazine, um, politics, current affairs. Uh, we're interested in freedom, in democracy. We also run campaigns on that basis, which is why we're offering in the US. So we've run last couple of years, a lot of campaigns around freedom of speech on university campuses, mm -hmm. which is how I met you, Camille, when I made you, I threw you into a room with a bunch of Black Lives Matter enthusiasts. Yes, um, that was very fun. That was good fun. Wonderful event. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so now everyone should check out spiked-online.com um, and we'll be out in the US a lot more in the next couple of years. Yeah. Mm. Uh, a quick thing about, about Spiked and the editor of Spiked is Brendan O'Neill mm. and I used to periodically do a radio show for Sirius. I had him on a couple of times. Um, and, oh, I did a spiked event, actually, one time mm. at the Museum uh, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. on free speech, and I was on stage with Brendan. Uh, Brendan is a curious character. I mm -hmm. mean, and Spiked was born out of a magazine called LM, which living was Marxism. Living Marxism. Marxism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it is a kind of hybrid left libertarian. Mar Brendan still calls himself a Marxist. Marxist libertarian. Yeah. yeah, I'm very confused by this. Um, I, yeah, I have no idea. I don't what, understand what Brendan's politics at all. But is it like a bit Marxist inflected, the publication in some ways? That's definitely the history. I mean, like there's a fair few of the 
forgive me for saying this, Brendan, slightly more old timers who would call themselves Marxist libertarians. As far as that's very much our history, we come out of a very uh, pro-freedom section of the left, which is almost non-existent today. Mm. Uh, but then again, nowadays, if you say that you're on the left, say that you're a Marxist, I say you're pro-freedom uh, continued the hard left, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah. And that is something which is not that unusual a term. I think Marx was a Marxist libertarian, for instance. Yeah. His whole project was about freedom. But nevertheless, I think nowadays you chuck around the word Marxist, it means certain things that have very little to do with freedom. So some okay. of the people don't necessarily throw it in there other than to yeah. stir things up. So but. so if somebody goes to Spiked Online, which I mm. recommend you do, there's a lot of good stuff there, they w won't expect to be confronted by the sort of Slavoj Žižek you know, 3,000 word chin strokers about uh, about the Cambodia or something, right? Not at all. Only where necessary. The genocide. Like, <laughs> <laughs> about how, not like, about, yeah, not like, about Cambodia. where to go. Cambodia travel journalism. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No. But, no, we do have that. Uh, yeah. No, but... Uh, <laughs> the time I found myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, no. but no, we're a very punchy, provocative current affairs magazine, so none of that kind of... Because you piss people slightly. off in the UK, don't you? Exactly, yeah. The left yeah. dislikes us quite heavily, so we must be doing something right. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, Tina, do you have politics, by the way? Or do you try to avoid politics? <laughs> um, you mean personal politics? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> does, it, does it kind of, is there a kind of political patina on your writing at all? Um, do you come from a sort of left standpoint, centrist standpoint? What is it? The funny thing is, is that I've had a very bizarre political slash journalism history that kind of left me realizing I don't have ideology and I wish I did because life would be a lot easier if yeah. I did. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I was a pretty diehard Democrat in high school. For various reasons, I kind of went to the libertarian journalism side in college and ended up working for the Daily Caller for a hot second. Oh, great. Oh, yeah, wow. um, then I realized, wait a second, uh, this isn't for me. Yeah. Um, let's it's not for a lot of people who like journalism. <laughs> oh, yeah. sorry. Shut wow. Up. Sorry. Shut wow. Up. Sorry. No, I mean, like, sure. I, I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't know whether I wanted to do political journalism at all after that experience, yeah. just because DC is the worst. It's the worst, yeah. DC is the most terrible place on the planet. Everyone is overhearing you at any given moment. I, I keep going back there and thinking, oh, my friends are there. And then I come back and I'm like, wait a second. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, so I left D.C., moved to New York, became a food blogger for a hot second, realized, yeah. wait a second, I like politics. So I went to Mediaite, which I think is how I met uh, Anthony, because he's <laughs> friends with Andrew Carell, who used to be my yes. boss. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Wait, Andrew Carell was anyone's boss? He was your boss? He was my boss. Fuck. Yeah. Wow. He's my he's my work husband. Wow. Long <laughs> way. Short straw on that one. Oh <laughs> my I, god. I love Andrew. Yes. I think Andrew, before he was even a journalist, uh, slept on my floor in DC. He yeah. did? Yeah, yeah. When he was like, he was, I don't know, he was I I put put him in the baby bureau and walked him around the block. He was really young. <laughs> so what's your beef uh, with him then? He's just not working. No, I just like I just like making fun of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, say, no, he's, Andrew, he's actually a really nice guy. No, Andrew. Andrew, you're a piece of shit. <laughs> but you're a nice guy. Andrew. Why don't you just let me hang out with your cats more? <laughs> but yeah, and you grew up where? Uh, Boston. Really? Yeah. Where? Quincy, Milton. Fucking Quincy, dude. Yeah. Are you serious? Uh huh. Next to a shipyard. No. Uh huh. That's where fucking Duncan's is from. Quincy. Yes. Yeah, Duncan's was like maybe if like three quarters of a mile from my house. Yeah, we can cut this later if you guys don't want to listen to no, people. This from the no. Wow, this is fine. No. This is fine. No. This like, is, I, I'm interested. All right, Tina Wynn from fucking Boston. <laughs> from fucking Boston. Yeah, dude. I'm from Massachusetts, just so you know. That's what, yeah, yeah, dude. Where? Fucking Concord. Concord. There we go. 
Why don't we talk like that? Because I'm not a fucking piece of trash. Oh my God, shut up. Sorry. <laughs> shut up. I'm going to go marry Johnny. He's the number five car salesman at Ernie Buck Jr. <laughs> fucking Route 1 in Saugus. Oh my God. I'll tell you what, we have a lot of listeners, so we, there'll be one and a half percent who will understand all of what we just said. Is anyone going to do the Bernie and Phil's theme song? Fucking Bernie and Phil's! Bloody no, we're, we're comfort gonna, and price. We're going we're gonna to reel it back in. Uh, that's fine, nice. fine. All right, brown, go ahead. Go brown ahead. lightning. Let's talk about real things. Let's, brown yeah, we'll, lightning we'll and Hendrix <laughs> are totally fueling this podcast. There, there are also a great many things going on in the world, some of which we might try to talk about in some kind of thoughtful, I didn't, By the way, I didn't ask way. Tom where he was from. I got. I feel like I, I'm, I'm I, where we from. already know no, that you, you that's a Britain. country. You get the gist of it. London. Yeah. From the, oh, yeah. oh, that oh that's, that's even better. Thank that's you. Even uh, less thank you for bailing me he's out. Actually, he's actually right. from Poo. I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, from Surrey, so actually. Great many things going Surrey. on. I, one thing I know for sure is that both me and I believe you, Tom, mm. were in D.C. this weekend. I yeah. took a trek down there. I actually drove with uh, my wife and daughter in the car. So our fir- her first road trip. Oh, it was wonderful. Awesome. It was it beautiful. Go? It was great. I mean, she's amazing. Everything about her is great. She still doesn't really like me. Um, but what um, about your daughter? <laughs> there you I go. See, you see what, what I did, you there? did there? I flipped it. That's pretty Don't good. Flip it. You flip it. <laughs> Don't flip the script. It flip you for real. This moonshine uh, is something. Yeah. I actually haven't, yeah. I haven't had Has any. It I'm actually a bit poor son. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. But there was uh, in DC this weekend, as in a lot of places around the country, a lot of people were in the streets. Some might say mm. millions of Americans were participating in this March for Our Lives business. So we may touch on that briefly. Although I definitely don't want to launch into the great not at all great american gun debate which is going nowhere um but we also have this incredible escalation of tensions between the united states everyone in fact and russia um so there's that that's worth talking about um i'd love to have you tom give us some sense of what all of this means from your perspective and vantage point, but also to give us some sense of what the hell is going on with Brexit. Mm. Um, And uh, there's other shit as well, but let's just jump into it and talk a little bit about what happened this past weekend. Um, I think there are a couple of things that are interesting beyond just the gun debate and whether or not we should introduce additional regulations. This is interesting to me because I mean, the march was on Saturday. We are recording this on Wednesday night. This is something the march itself continues to spin off like storylines for people to talk about. Um, And there's something for everyone. There's the fake news that continues to swirl about whether or not the shooting survivors are like trained actors. There are (laughs) memes uh, painting some of the spokespeople of the movement who also happen to be victims of these horrible school shootings, or at least were there when the school shootings happened. I I can't say they're victims because they didn't. Good job. But you know what the hell I'm saying. I don't want to screw this up. It's hard to be delicate when you're a little inebriated. Um, (laughs) But also from the stage on the mall that day. And while I was in D.C., I didn't go to the mall, but I did see signage and people in T-shirts. They were in the hotels. Uh, Most of that stuff was pretty unambiguous. You knew that they were there supporting this march. Most of it was actually pretty tame. Um, Some of it, however, had a pretty sharp edge to it. And that sharp edge extended to the stage as well. Um, There were certainly some remarks that were made that were a little more pointed. um, And uh, there was even somehow a debate about the proper role of activism in journalism. All of this spun off of this bizarre march situation. And I say bizarre because you have a situation where this school shooting happened. The kids um, who were involved in the shooting um, at their school have become the spokespeople for this movement. And in a matter of less than a month have spun up, or at least this 
thing has spun up around them, um, advocating for extensive reforms uh, of uh, gun regulations here in the United States. And I, I suppose there's some contrasting interest there. But I want to open this up uh, a bit more broadly to everybody and perhaps get some perspective mm. here. And the first thing that, that really stands out to me is just the, the unique nature of having these sainted activists who you can't criticize them without running some pretty severe risks. It's, it's, it's driving a, it's the right ama- insane. No, it's an amazing thing. And I give um, whoever, I don't know who you want to say is responsible for this or behind this, or if it just kind of coalesced as a movement without any sort of central organizing person or principle, but I give them an enormous amount of credit for doing something that um, effectively ties the hands of the pro-gun people. I don't engage in this debate at all. I don't have many opinions on it. And uh, but what I have noticed is that you have these people, David Hogg is his name Hogg uh-huh. or something. Um, and, you know, he's up there uh, doing his sort of tub thumping speech. He's on every television network it's a doing black the same button thing. that says we call BS. Yeah, mm-hmm. we call BS. I, I, I when I wear that button, no one cares. <laughs> I wear it every day. And he's doing his sort of um, clenched fist salute and everything. And the second you want to say something, whether it's about the substance of the gun debate or just the kind of tenor of it, or you know the, the way it's being waged in the media, et cetera, you recoil. I mean, if you're if you're a reasonable person, there's a lot of people that aren't reasonable mm. and are directly attacking them. But you have these kind of Chinese finger cuffs things. You just can't get out of this. Slightly racist. I don't. I actually stopped and think, is that bad? That's yeah, a thing. Totally, totally I'm unacceptable. So yeah. <laughs> you are Vietnamese from Quincy, actually. You're actually from Quincy. That's okay. Yes, not to, not to be established. Established. You're not probably to be more Irish than Vietnamese. Yeah. Not to be Barry Weiss about it. You're from here. You're from fucking Massachusetts. Um, it's the reverse Barry Weiss. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's the reverse Barry Weiss. Barry, I love you. Um, um, but, you know, it's this thing where the second you want to say something, you're like, oh, geez, I can't criticize them. They're 17 year, years old, 16 years old. And then when you do... Um, these people that stupidly go out and do so, or sometimes maybe you'd say bravely to go out and do so, they walk into the wood chipper. Mm-hmm. And you see it's like, oh, can you believe it? These people, you're attacking children. Mm-hmm. The right is attacking children. People are attacking children. The pro-gun people are attacking children. It's an unbelievably perfect job that they've done. It's like, it's like a well-orchestrated bank job in the sense that you can't say anything. And these kids are up there. And by the way, it's the same thing that I remember um, about a year ago, there was this big vogue for, it's funny that I use the word vogue, the vogue for Teen Vogue, uh, when saying, oh, it's so great, the Teen Vogue, this teen magazine is fighting these fights that the rest of the media isn't bothering to touch. By the way, it's staffed by adults. Just so you know. <laughs> That's always funny, funny about this well, debate. But the, but the, it's, well, it's a very similar thing, and I'll go right to Teen in two seconds. It's, it's the similar thing and that none of this would happen without adults. Mm-hmm. It's not as if these kids precipitated this enormous debate about guns. I think that either they found the perfect spokesman or the perfect marks, depending on which you know side you're looking at it from. But it's like, it is, I mean, it's no coincidence that everybody that's taken a shop class at that school in the past year has been on MSNBC. Do I think that's a bad thing? Not necessarily, but I do believe that the second you get you're on TV and you're making these these very serious points about a very serious issue. It it, it it behooves you to say the rest of you can engage me, despite the fact that I'm 17 years old. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be the debate that I'm seeing mostly is about the age of these people and how dare you attack these kids. I think it's OK because they're out there. And, and you know what? 
it's a good God. That is a school full of smart kids. Yeah. Mm. Cause they're bright and clever people. And I want to engage them in some way. If I cared about this issue, I'd not care. About it. <laughs> if I engage this issue, I don't talk about this issue. Yeah. But if I did, I would feel like, Oh, well, maybe I can't say anything. I find that I care about it a little, a little more now, but, but Tina, you were going to, you were going to break in there. I know you've been writing a lot about how these are all trained actors. And how no. This is <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. The, the I, couldn't believe it. I could not believe it when <laughs> Tina wrote that. <laughs> but, but what were you going to say earlier? Landers. <laughs> Lies, all of it. Uh, first off, I have to, you know, stand up for my Condé Nast brethren and point yeah. out that Teen Vogue staff is actually fairly young. The uh, editor, the editorial director, I believe, Philip Picardi, is my age. He's twenty. He was twenty six when this was all going. Yeah, down. but they're not teens, basically, right? Which is <laughs> I mean, teen, teen Vogue to work at Teen yeah, Vogue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had a lawsuit like, about I, that. We can't do that anymore. Yeah. Like I, I was um, thinking, like the baby clothes store would be staffed by babies. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, to your point about like how dare you people like people attacking these teens? Well, first, like first of all, I have a feeling the right just in my own reporting on right wing media, they tend to go after people with long track histories that they mm. can dig through and try sure. to pull some sort of like hypocritical fact and spin it in a direction that's favorable to them. Yeah. Um, you just don't have that timeline with these kids. They're 17. They yeah. probably only realized that the further wor the world existed beyond their own high school, like when they like two years ago. Yeah. So I think that's that's one of the things that's really bothering them. They cannot. One, they can't find anything worth attacking in these kids' lives, so they're going in a total different direction. And two, whenever people do have serious concern, like uh, issues to address with them, everyone who sees um, anyone questioning these teens kind of immediately associates them with the more insane gateway pundit Lucian Wintrich type of criticism, which is, oh, my God, this kid was in a, th a video for theater school yeah. two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, and well, the, it's the bullshit allusions to, to the it, Third Reich, the talking yeah, about the theater. And, 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 and yeah. a quick button on that yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is that, and, and to get to you, Tom, it's like, mm. a quick button on that is that maybe it should teach these uh, Lucian types, whom I've met on a number of occasions doing a story, and I actually had a fun time with him. He's... Crazy, but a fun time. <laughs> crazy, crazy pants, but a fun time. This is like the kind of Milo Mark II character. Yeah, 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 kind of. Yeah, he's he's American Milo. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, the thing about it is maybe these people should think twice about focusing their attacks on the individual and saying, you know what, maybe it feels weird to engage in an intellectual philosophical argument about the Second Amendment, about gun control with a 17-year-old, but I'm going to do it. Well, I mean, when that's the, what one must do. When the 17-year-old is leading the charge in the debate, um, it, it's hard not to engage. And it's also worth noting that, and, and I, I'm not among the people who have um, made uh, Hitler memes about the kid, but when I saw you're the not. no, I'm not unfortunately not what this was that time. Patrice Lumumba when you did exactly. <laughs> That's weird. That was like really oh Sorry, specific. <laughs> but but this but this no, it's just it's not because he's black. It's just because of, <laughs> I like the name Patrice Lumumba. But but the I wasn't even thinking that. <laughs> yeah, you were. But the speech, you're from Quincy. But the speech. But in God. the speech on Saturday when he opened up, he had this moment where he, the first thing that he does is he come and he puts this like price tag yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on on. On the uh, on the podium there. What was the and price? By the way, the price was it was cheap. It was like it was for a, every kid in a Florida, dollar or something. I think. Um, yeah. yeah, it was it was cheap. Does that mean he didn't get a lot he of money? He didn't from get there, a lot right? of money, oh, which is okay. which no, is a whole other thing. It's there's all of the it's all of the nonsense of the gun debate that I find so frustrating. The fact that we have it around mass shootings in particular, and not say handgun violence, which is the main thing. But again, I don't want to get into that. But in this particular case, I mean, that is demagoguery. 
like the consistent assertion that the people who support the Second Amendment, like anyone who is mm. not narrowly in your lane and interested in pursuing the specific reforms that you want, that those people are monsters, that the NRA, considering all of the various organizations that give money to political causes, not a massive Political organization mm. with but a you, profound you, but you influence. Can't attack I'm the just kid. No, I'm not saying no, that you're attacking yeah. the kid. I'm saying the kid mm. is the making these arguments, and he is. He is. Be, it's not in my estimation. It's just true. When I you come out and I you say, when you say yeah. that, um, what's her name? The the uh, the woman at the NRA spokesperson, uh, Dana, Dana Lush. Mm. Yeah. Uh, when you say that Dana Lush is is her name changes every time. Dana Lush and Lush. When you say it's this damn moonshine. When you say Lush. <laughs> when you suggest Lush. that she is actually a party to these homicides, that she doesn't love her children, that she doesn't care about yeah, anything but profits and money, like those are monstrous attacks. I and so one too. can yeah. say that it's politics as usual, but whether you're a kid who was involved in a heinous situation oh, or not, oh, it's uh, it's demagoguery. And I think I it's fair to call fuck, you for that. By the way, because of the point you're making, I was saying fuck because some shitbag just Irishman. just blew into the room <laughs> yeah, yeah um, but, but before we but before we go to Matt to I mean point, Tom you yeah. you I, 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 no, I know, I know. I've been, I've been yammering. Too it's much. okay, go ahead, Tom. Go it's ahead, okay, please. Tom. <laughs> I was gonna say. I mean, you, you are watching this from across the pond, and I don't yeah. know if you went to DC to observe any of the goings ons there, but I'm, I'm interested in how all of this sort of seems from your vantage point and what you make of, uh, of all the things. Yeah, because I mean, I was there completely by accident, but from the British perspective, I'm probably the least representative British journalist you could have had to talk about this because basically everyone in Britain is one of the things that is a supreme source of kind of smugness and condescension that America are obsessed with their guns. Like that's almost a more or less a left-right thing. Mm -hmm. And Spiked is probably the only publication at the very least as commentators dotted around the place who say not only is the Second Amendment great but we should have something similar in the UK so we're kind of a little bit um, isolated on that point but um Nevertheless, one of the reasons I didn't actually know the march was going ahead, one of the reasons, and I booked a train back to New York and all the rest of it, for a second I thought about going, but I thought I would almost end up being like the reverse Piers Morgan as far as the Brit who comes <laughs> over and lectures Americans about why don't you give up their guns. You don't I'd want to be, be the, the anything Piers Morgan. You don't want to be the anything Piers Morgan, but I'd be like going down there talking to some 14-year-old and their mum and saying, oh, look, I know you're scared, but have you looked at the statistics? Yeah, it would yeah. be ridiculous. But um, nevertheless, I think what is so striking, especially at the current moment, is the fact that there has been an awful lot of kind of emotionalism in the gun debate for a very long time. And it feels like the fact that now these kids are at the forefront and they are very impressive and they are very articulate and all the rest of it it's given the adults who are supporting them cover to just allow that kind of really most base most unfiltered if you don't support gun control you want children to die type stuff to just almost pass under the radar that's one of the things i find kind of slightly troubling about it is that mm -hmm. i don't you know without wanting to sound patronizing the fact that they're kind of impassioned and all about this these are the kind of um unfiltered anti-gun arguments i expect a 17 year old to make the fact that they're being so lionized amongst people in the media who should be more interested in having a far more substantial discussion that's the sort of thing that starts what, to one might one might imagine um mm -hmm. but I, I don't know that that's always Tina, the case. your brow is doing something very is it furrowing it's furrowing it's furrowing, it's furrowing. <laughs> yeah give me okay. give me the furrow yeah tell, what's, tell what's us going what's, what's, what's gone wrong Tina. um help us find our help. way <laughs> <laughs> well you sound like the bhagwan <laughs> help us find our way i mean like, like mostly i was just like transcribing what it was saying but it's I don't know. The one thing that I find really fascinating in this entire gun debate is largely that it was it kind of speaks to the point I made earlier, like the 
nature of our discourse is just disintegrated to the point that it's completely like emotionally driven and mm. focusing more on personalities than you know the actual tenor like the actual points that mm-hmm. need to be made. Mm-hmm. Like I still know more about like the individual attacks that specific congressmen have made against the students and more about the students themselves and like the op ed. Very good point. Yeah. And like the op ed that the yeah. uh God, what's her name? Um there was a uh, high school student who wrote this entire um, op-ed for the New York Times about how she had tried to befriend right. um, the uh, shooter, Nicholas Cruz, yeah. and he still ended up, you know, doing the thing. Yeah, yeah. But, like, that's, like, it's all personal. It's all completely personally driven. And I really have kind of lost track of who is supposed to, like, yeah. what kind of reforms they're supposed to do. And I don't know, is that, like, the mainstream media's uh, prerogative? Is it just an easier way to package a story that makes it, that, like, helps people understand that there is a debate going on, but not necessarily delves into the details. But is it even 100% obvious what um, these kids or this campaign is really calling for? Because, you know, there's always a kind of ragbag of background checks. Is it about bump stocks? Is mm-hmm. it about, you know, um, assault rifles or the rest of it? It wasn't entirely clear what those concrete aims are. And I think there's something about the debate at the moment, which seems like it is just all about, are you a good person or are you a bad person? Or from the kind of MAGA rights perspective, are you a proto-Nazi oh. <laughs> and an actor or something else? It feels so <laughs> degraded, and that's what's so frustrating well, about it. There is uh, this Ross Dothat, Dothat, Dothat. It's pronounced douchebag. Yeah. Oh, good, good, good. Oh, Ross is, Douthat. Is Matt's mic, the Matt, Ross, Matt, <laughs> by the way, Matt's mic's here and it's unplugged, which is, is it unplugged? <laughs> how I like it. Dear yeah, Lord. Let me, let me plug you in there. Is that is that plugged in? No, it's not plugged in. No, uh, no, no, it's on It's on this side. It's on, oh, there we go. Uh, I'm going to plug Matt I'm, in. It's fine, I'm going to uh, cut much, it. It's much fine. to the disappointment of all of our listeners. Yeah. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Nice yeah. to meet you, too. Oh, yeah, look at that. So there is this Ross Douthat piece um, Marco Rubio must be destroyed and some place in there there's uh, a section where he actually suggests that what is actually happening here that the rabid attacks on Marco Rubio as he describes it the fact that Marco is sort of making concessions and capitulations and seems to be willing to deal and the fact that he's still being attacked and singled out as Ross describes it um, but that all of this is a function of Democrats re- retreating to a position where they themselves have to scorched earth politics here. This is smash mouth. Um, and this is all ushered in by the the Trump era. I'm not certain that I buy that. Um, I, I think that there's always been perhaps a little bit more of a veneer of seriousness with previous candidates. But the demonizing of the other side is something both sides have participated in for a very long time. And it's certainly the case that, you know, Bill Clinton wanted to make America great again and that Howard Dean wanted to take our country back and that Joe Biden uh, was warning Democrats that they're going to put you all back in chains. Like this is how politics <laughs> works. Like they're going to put you all back in chains. He, he absolutely did say it like that. He, he dipped into the black center a little bit. from a different zip code. <laughs> I mean, this, Just, is, wow. this is how politics works. And I, yeah. I you know, I don't know what the, the well, journalistic issue, issue responsibility issue, is. I mean, I, but, journalistic responsibility, the political responsibility is I give them full credit. I mean, this is an issue on, that, on which you can actually do this type of 
you know, demagoguery or however, whatever, however you want to uh, call it, mm -hmm. is that you have perfect cover, right? I mean, you don't want to attack children. You don't want to attack not only children. Your children are victims. They're not direct victims in the way that those that were murdered are. But these people were under fire just a month and a half, two months ago. So it's it feels unseemly and it feels wrong to say, go out and say, you know, the guy who's pumping his fist, the David Hogg or whatever. I don't, you know, or the, the woman, the Gonzalez woman, mm -hmm. I had an instinct and I restrained myself when oh. I was watching the thing. And I, I see her talking and she's got a Cuban flag on her. And I was like, well, that seems a bit fucked up. And I was like, oh, she's like 16 and she's mm -hmm. probably yeah. of Cuban heritage uh -huh. and probably knows nothing about, you know, anything that happened from 1959 to today. I think her family, like, and fled. The, well, there. I mean, the, the, the flag were three, be ambiguous. Were, well, I think the she tweeted ambiguous, something about it. And there's three generations removed from it now. Totally. I mean, mm -hmm. Cuban Americans are getting less sort of militant about their anti-communism, et cetera. So, you know, I just, I, I have the instant reaction of, like, you know, probably not a good thing to talk about, you know, uh, guns in this way. And when you're wearing a flag of a regime that used them quite liberally against its opponents. Uh, but then again, it's like, yeah, good political job in the sense that like, do we not blame them if we're upset about this stuff? And I'm not entirely sure that I am, mm -hmm. but do we not blame them and try to find the focus of our attention? Who are the people that are organizing these things and pushing them out and saying, you know what, you go take the flag. Can we're I, gonna can, sit back here. I don't know, I don't know. Can I bridge to sort of a broader journalist? Matt's here, by the way, did, that, we, did we say that? Uh, we didn't. We kind of we, we, we said something about how he's a yeah. shitbag. It's wonderful to see you, Matt Welch. Thanks yeah. for making it. Yeah. It's wow. been like 15 weeks. He's wearing a suit. Wow. Yeah. He looks he like looks, an accountant. That's good. That's a clip on tie. But I was I was gonna say um that you know one of the other things that that came out of this was there was a student journalist who uh was also at the march, and I guess she was talking to uh, someone uh, might have been on CNN, uh, maybe on reliable sources. Um, and she said something to the effect of that, in her estimation, journalism was activism. Um, and I saw a number of different responses to that, uh, mostly critical responses, many of them from journalists, not necessarily journalists who were um, conservatives or folks or pundits who are conservative, but, you know, journalists saying that's not how journalism works. Journalism is an activism. Um, I, I find that my own perspective on that is a little different, um, mostly because this notion of objective journalism is certainly uh, a thing that many people romanticize, people who work in the industry, um, and even more so, in my estimation, like the population at large expect this. They want unbiased news. But the subjectivity of the work that you do when you are telling a story about things that happen is inescapable. Um, and the fact that your opinion and perspective will creep in, even if you try to use neutral language, is, again, inescapable. And I, I worry that the estimation of journalism as this practice that you do in this clinical fashion, that when done correctly, always eviscerates yourself and only gives people the facts um, un, unmolested is is kind of absurd. Like well, that's not a thing. Let's it's get on, Tom on, on this. It's on the <laughs> decline as a notion uh, in in America, is and it, it does. Uh, well, mostly because everyone is just screaming fake news. Uh, the mm, only people no. I trust, even even with like this podcast, when I say some shit like that or various other perspectives, I will get like, man, I love listening to you guys. 
guys because you guys are always unbiased. No, I'm biased to shit. Mm-hmm. I am always giving you my perspective on things. I don't make facts up. I, I do believe I have an allegiance well, to the Well, you know truth, where that comes from, but, is you know. that you're very difficult to politically pigeonhole. So yeah. people say, oh, it's unbiased. But I want to get Tom's perspective on this because you're saying you're saying this thing about journalism, and we're, we're talking particularly about America. This is not a British idea at all. I mean, you go to the UK, you can get the Telegraph and the Times, which are sort of on the right and sort of vaguely on the right, and get the Independent and the Guardian. And you get the and BBC. You, They'll tell you the truth. Well, yeah. And then if you really lost your mind, you get the Morning Star, and then you oh, get yeah. the, you get the sort of communist. They still have a daily communist paper. But that's a very particularly American thing, isn't it, Tom? I mean, I mean, it might be in story selection only that you're going to get in the Guardian more things about Palestinians being abused than you would in the Telegraph or something. But do you find when you come to America this obsession with uh, maybe not actually achieving it and being sort of unbiased as a, a reporter, but this idea that we must, I mean, you guys don't have that so much. Not so much. I mean, that's what's kind of so strange about it is the fact that everyone talks about American broadcast media as being super partisan and British um print media has been super partisan. That kind of is a split, more or less. Like, all of our newspapers have a very clear stance, you know, we're from the Sun newspaper through to the Morning Star, and over here you do have, you know, MSNBC through to kind of Fox. So that is the kind of balance in some respects. But I think it's not necessarily that, therefore, objectivity has to kind of go out the window, because I think most people know when they're reading something which is just reflecting their own values. I think people can, and journalists can, aspire to objectivity on some level. Like, it is just a kind of guiding star you're not going to be a perfect angel when you're trying to report the report the news i think it's just when one thing is kind of trojan horse into another like for instance with the kind of um, students from stoneman douglas i thought it was interesting that i think i'm right saying that there was a section on the guardian us website that was basically publishing their stuff Hmm. Um, and that to me look is a strange move if nothing else partly because even though you know however a reporter reports news is always going to be somewhat skewed by how they look at the world what their own presumptions are um, all those sorts of things it's never less the fact that they're still trying to be objective they're not reducing what they're saying to slogans where it feels like if you are just campaigning in that very clear cut sense then you're not doing journalism you're doing something a little bit different although, although sometimes you know? sometimes that happens too with coverage of say Richard Spencer who mm. we all agree is fucking objectionable oftentimes we feel the need to do that throat clearing and many times what happens and this is unfortunately a bit too sloppy uh, because it it creates a situation where you don't take these people seriously enough you don't actually decimate their ideas you just dismiss them and then you have no idea what the fuck they're talking about Mm. and when you get on television with them they Mm. seem a great deal more sophisticated than you Mm. um, which i've seen richard spencer run rings around um pretty lame limp journalos who don't uh give him the the sort of respect that they ought to and by respect yeah. I just mean the kind of respect that you would in give respect, to any bully. In respect might be the Don't wrong word. Don't turn your yeah. back on him. Yeah. But the thing is and that that's often I always make that case with, you know, David Irving, the British Holocaust denier slash historian who, you know, people good historians like Gordon Craig and Hugh Trevor Roper said, you know, he, without him we wouldn't have a lot of these documents etc. but he made this really sinister turn in the early 80s to becoming a Hitler apologist and a, and a and a Holocaust denier. But the reason I always bring him up is that I wouldn't have anyone in this room all of us know the objective fact of history that the holocaust happened that six million jews were killed etc cetera, etc cetera. it I might be a little inflated <laughs> well, oh, i know well, i know holocaust joke. Yeah. is that okay how long did it take to get this but yeah we'll, 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 i am so fucked <laughs> well, yeah well you didn't say it you're fine um you, you didn't say anything in response though yeah. no but the you thing is I, march out of the room all all of us <laughs> could sit with david irving and he would beat us 
in a debate yeah. and the Holocaust still happened. And that's what oftentimes I find people completely unprepared. And I've sure. seen my my colleagues go toe to toe with people like Spencer and, you know, some of these other alt-right psychopaths. And they go in and they expect to beat them handily because they have the moral high ground, which they do. But they're not equipped for the argument, which they can, they're going to lie and they're going to cut things in, in, into ribbons and then take these little strands. And they will it, it will seem to anyone that they're beating you. And that's the same thing is that I wouldn't want to debate David Irving on the Holocaust despite, despite the fact that I'm right and he's wrong. I mean, that's, that's oh. a big problem with Europe as well. Sorry to cut you off. Is, is the fact that obviously um, not in Britain yet, but obviously in France and Germany and various other Western European countries, we have kind of very tight laws in relation to Holocaust denial or kind of Nazi stuff. You do get into a situation in which the people who know the most about the Holocaust are the Holocaust deniers. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a very dangerous yeah. situation to yeah. be in. The only thing about Richard Spencer, which I think is a little bit different, though, is that it's hard not to look at Richard Spencer. Spencer and see someone who was at least in part created by the media's need for him to exist. That's true too. Mm. And that is the only thing where, especially when he was giving that speech in Florida, what was it, about six, eight sure. months ago. Sure. And all of this media obsession, obviously, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars spent protecting that event and 30 idiots show up. And you think, wouldn't it have been better for these no marks to just kind of see Carl mm. to each other in a draft room <laughs> by themselves. As, as that would have been As they've done for years. Are you endorsing Sieg Heiling? Is yeah. that what I just yeah. heard? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's exactly I, what I was doing. Yeah. Provided, <laughs> provided the media's not there to expose it. Exactly. Yeah. At so, least he wasn't like Moynihan just was comparing the Stoneman uh, Douglas victims to David Irving. Really rude. Wow. Really rude. Wow. Do you, first, of all, offenses. first of all, do you realize that your mic was unplugged by design? <laughs> that was, uh, second of all, <laughs> fucking asshole. That's not what I was saying. <laughs> can, I, can I ask, a, can, I, can I take this in a slightly different direction? I mean, I think we all saw that the Atlantic did a bunch of hiring uh, this week. Um, and there were some uh, some questions about some of the folks who were hired. Uh, one person in particular who is a former guest on this podcast and David also, Irving. <laughs> <laughs> also lived across the hall from me. Interesting views on the Holocaust. In my very, want people to hear. In my very fancy apartment here in uh, in Manhattan before I moved to Bed Stuy, uh, Kevin Williamson who mm, was formerly of National Review. The murderer. Um, and <laughs> I, I wonder, I mean, I'm sure you all saw the controversy that exploded. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of different things. I mean, one is that there's actually been just a string of situations where people like our friend Barry Weiss, um, for example, and others who have these perches at these publications that at least the editorial sections are often uh, imagined to be these liberal bastions that they, they kind of own these properties. Um, and when they bring in this new diverse voice, um, you will find people who get really, really upset about past things they've written. In Kevin's case in particular, I mean, Kevin is a dude who has a very caustic style. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Like he can be that's, pretty damn sharp. Um, and he takes, <laughs> he has some perspectives that are, are also just pretty coarse and uh, not necessarily things that a lot of people would agree with. That being said, Kevin, um, as uh, one TNC, who was also at the Atlantic, uh, famous uh, genius writer, 
grand intellect. Your, fa- your favorite person. My favorite person in, in the universe. I like his Black Panther stuff. Yeah, well, I haven't I haven't read it. But he describes Kevin as... He described Kevin recently in a, in a podcast as a, as a person who can write his ass off. And I would uh, completely sort agree. Sort of true. That yeah, might be the realest... I think he's a good as, as Tupac said, that might be the realest shit that yeah. TNC has ever wrote. Tina he wanted to talk about this because when I responded, said, "Can we talk about Kevin?" Uh, Kevin. Uh, uh, so you, yeah, Tina, <laughs> tell me we, we need to talk about What's Kevin. Can you tell me? Can you tell me? Wait, you... Isn't that actually the name of a? Yes, yes, yes. yes. That's, yes. that's yes. why you did that. We need yes. Yes. school shooting. <laughs> that's the yeah. only reason that we're doing yeah, this it, entire it a, segment is because you wanted to make. It was a school bar an hour. Tina, I just thought of it right now. I'm a fucking genius. Congratulations! You are so excited about talking about this. What's your take on? Is it because is it because you're a woman and he is suggesting? That, that women who have uh, abortion should be hung? Is yeah. that? Oh my God. <laughs> Those were your words, not mine, first yeah, of all. I, I no, it's a fascinating thing. Like, what, ex- like, I'm not quite sure, like, after the fallout of this, de- after this debate has, like, started to sprout up on social media, what exactly does a respectable conservative who writes for a mainstream publication look like mm-hmm. these days? Like, is there such a thing anymore? Because like, no matter what kind of political ideology you espouse, there's going to be someone who's pissed off about it. But like, at one point, do you get fired for it? What point do you like make the, um, what point do you make the editorial leadership like change decisions? What kind mm-hmm. of pressure does that involve? I don't. I, I think this is a new development in it. Well, it's it's also the thing. It's where they. Uh, it, it's garbology. Do you remember Garbology? The Bob Dylan thing, the guy, um, the guy who used to go through Bob Dylan's garbage and he said, I call it Garbology. And I, I kind of build this, you know, Dylan profile. And hmm. he, uh, his, his name is A.J. Weberman. He's a crazy person. Great documentary about him. But he, he started this thing called Garbology. And he literally was in the West Village. He used to go through Dylan's garbage. I feel there's a Garbology that happens when somebody gets hired by a place where they shouldn't be writing mm-hmm. or people think they shouldn't be writing because, you know, God knows all of us have written things in their past that they don't appreciate now and are embarrassed by. I mean, I have a ton of it. And you know, like if I were to ever to go to a big public, and now it's, I mean, they're doing a successful job. I would never want to go to write for the New York Times. They would find something that I wrote and find this like, you know, does Kevin Williamson still believe the thing about the abortion? I didn't read the whole thing in context. I, mean, it's, it's I don't a, know. It's a tweet. I'm, I'm pretty tweet. sure it was a joke. I don't uh, yeah. know that, that Kevin yeah, has don't ever make jokes supported anymore. He, it's a bad idea. He yep. does have really, really strong views on abortion, part of which come from the fact that he's adopted and and that he sees himself as not existing uh, if if uh, if the law would have been different at a certain point in his mother's life, which wow. is yeah, a pretty I strong mean, perspective. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty deep you know, there. Uh, yeah, I mean, like that's Jeez, it's not my perspective at all. But you know, if Kevin Williamson wants to, you know, have that. So you're saying you're anti hanging. Uh, no, I'm pro hanging. Just okay. not Kevin of, di- is of, di- uh, of different people. Uh, is he anti death penalty? Yes, he is. Oh, okay. Which None which, of that makes which sense. Lends, lends credence to the bold theory that it might have been a fucking joke. <laughs> yeah, but here's Whoa. the thing. The thing about this that kind of drives me crazy is that is that you know there there was I I don't want to call Ben Shapiro, but I saw him on okay. I, well I saw him on the CNN show this weekend. Mm-hmm. What's the fact? Reliable sources. Yeah, 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 that guy. Oh. Um, sorry. Was he was he on Rough. again this weekend? <laughs> yeah, he was on the show yeah. a couple weeks ago, and he said, "Well, why don't you just apply, you whinging conservatives, to work at these mainstream publications?" And he, and his response was, "Well, I suspect they wouldn't have me, but you know." 
And then there's examples like this that kind of prove his point, right? Mm -hmm. Is that Barry Weiss is like, and I said this after Barry was on, is that I gave the example of Nal Ferguson, who when I was at Newsweek wrote a cover story and everyone went crazy. And I pointed out to somebody in an editorial meeting, nobody would have cared about this if it was on the cover of National Review. It's like, stay in your lane. This is our territory. You're not allowed to encroach upon our publications. And there's a certain sense of that, of that, you know, don't... How dare you? We need the acceptable conservative. I mean, and he's a really anti-Trump conservative. But it he's also, also a very good writer as well, doesn't it? So it seems like all these kind of nominally liberal publications are taking in anti-Trumpers, like kind of like from the refugee camp or something. Like that. It's just like <laughs> but that's it's Calais, exactly. the jungle. I don't fully yeah. understand. It's, it. also, <laughs> it's also, I mean, if you're running the New York Times or the Atlantic or the Wall Street Journal, whatever, you're in uh, overwhelmingly uh, liberal areas to begin with, and. There isn't a huge swath of pro-Trump intellectual conservative opinion, That's mm-hmm. which is super interesting to, to reflect there on. There are literally like five of them, and they all go to the Claremont <laughs> Institute or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's the Flight 93 election every day yeah. for, the, for these guys. Michael Anton's hot dog party. That's, that's, trust me, that's, that's the it's exactly what it sounds like. my Klaus Nomi uh, tribute band. <laughs> but, like, I don't understand that joke. So, like, there, uh, there isn't... I do. There isn't like a a, a great pool of talent. I I think it it really is a case of there are places that for whatever reason are seen as like ours. Yeah, Mm. yeah. The New York Times is ours. The Washington Post, curiously, isn't really. Nope. Because people kind of think of Fred Hyatt. He was for the Iraq War. And there was some there, pushback there, when uh, when Meghan McCardle when uh, Meghan, went there over w- to join. There was some. There was yeah. not nearly not as much lot. as the uh, the uh, Barry Weiss But uh, it's because pushback. of this moment. Mm. It's now. I mean, you, you attack Meghan because it's just like the mob's already formed. The, the, Which is just already, so bizarre that you the can The pitchforks are already yeah. out. They're like, oh, let's go to Meghan, too. I think Meghan is like the most sort of reasonable. And I guess you can disagree with her, sure. sure. But she's not like a bomb No, I mean, there was a, I don't. I don't know if we uh, remember if we talked about it on this show, but there's she was like crucified for a good like four to five days on on the Twitters because she had written kind of in response to Jordan Peterson's Twelve Rules for Life. She's like, oh, I'm turning fifty this year. Here are my whimsical. Is she? Well, yeah, I think she's, she's my age. Wow. Um, uh, here are my whimsical. You're fifty. I'm gonna be fifty. <laughs> or maybe she's turning forty-five. Whatever. It's, uh-huh. It was a sorry, Megan. Uh, it was a. <laughs> she's not fifty. Everybody's fifty. That's the. Fifty's <laughs> the, the new part everything. of the. Uh, That's Ricky, true. Uh, I am Asian. You don't know. There's no way. No way to know. You can't Absolutely see it, but not. Tina, I think, is actually seventy-three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, she wrote one of these sort of rules of her life. And it was just like, uh, you know, uh, uh, save 25% of your income and do this and do that. Uh, totally harmless. And she was pilloried for a long time by baffler writing joyless fuckwads uh, because like, <laughs> oh, you know, you just don't see your privilege coming uh, out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is just, I'm so tired of of these privileged people and they're going to be hired by the Washington Post again and everything like that. I'm like, wow. I mean, just imagine waking up yeah. in the morning ready to be that angry for someone to reflect their privilege because they don't have acceptable politics and they're going to one of our places there. I guess Jonah Goldberg is sort of grandfathered in. He's been at the LA Times for like 15 years yeah. and on PBS, so people don't even get mad at him anymore. Plus, yeah. he's a, a total never Trumper. But it's a it's a very curious and 
semi-dispiriting. I mean, ultimately, I don't care what people are mad at anymore. I'm Tom, Tom is this, I mean, and I hate to uh, keep on, you know, focusing on your passport, but, but <laughs> this, uh, it, it, does it, it, you know, these things sort of take hold in the UK, I always feel like five, ten years later. Mm. But now with, you know, Twitter, social media, internet, et cetera, it seems like they're running parallel. And I am increasingly seeing arguments in the UK that are very similar about, you know, privilege and about this, like, you shouldn't hire X. I mean, privilege especially. Mm -hmm. I mean, because there is always the great cliche of the, the, you know, America's kind of a classless society compared to the UK in which you can be, you know, judged entirely on an accent. I mean, it happens here too, but usually said that it happens in a more acute way in the UK. Is that happening a lot now where if you have a plummy, posh accent that you're going to be accused of privilege and maybe shouldn't be in the running for a particular job or shouldn't be writing for a particular publication. But that's one of the kind of fascinating things about privileges it's now talked about in the kind of new identity politics is it actually kind of erases class, which obviously has long time been a big, you know, bugbear and sort of hanging over sort of British society. Like a classic example is the fact that there's this sort of transgender model who was taken on for a time to be a kind of labour equalities advisor called Monroe Bergdorf. And uh, her upbringing was very middle class in a British sense as in being quite posh, uh, you know, the best education money could buy, very plummy accent, etc. And would basically make arguments that even if you're a homeless guy and you're white, you have white privilege. (laughs) And it was a perfect example of how obviously Britain has a bit of a class complex that's kind of been more part of our politics for a very long time and all the rest of it. The funny thing about identity politics is it can allow for someone who, again, has has grown up in the right places, who has the best education money could buy, can speak in a cut glass accent, and can still say they're oppressed. (laughs) And that's what's so weird about it from a British context is we're not that classless society. We do have that chip on our shoulder. We do always think in those terms to some extent. And yet the privilege thing, it's less aimed at the people with the plummy accents. It's often just aimed at, um, strangely, white people of any class for some sort of strange Well, Camille and I had a a Twitter conversation. I think you, no, Twitter, a text conversation. I think you sent me the restaurant in New Orleans that was charging white people more. Yes. Which is, I, I, I think is fine. It's I'm price t- discrimination. I, I think I, I'm fine with it. Because it's the and, same, it's, it's, it's the are. kind of, yeah. it's the opposite of the, is the, the, the kind of flip side of those conservative groups who always did the like affirmative action bake sales. Mm-hmm. They always were very controversial. And we're saying, you know, white people pay more, et cetera. And the, the, it pisses off the people that it's meant to piss off. But the one thing that I found really funny about it is when you flatten things to, to, to race only. Mm. Don't talk about class. You mm. see race, white, black, that's it. The restaurant was ser- serving Nigerian food. And then I sent Camille some numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics showing that Nigerian Americans make more than white Americans on average. <laughs> and it's lot. like, by, yeah, by a good amount. Which Kevin yeah. Williamson like, it, points out a lot. Yeah, but the thing is, is like the New Orleans population full of Nigerian no, Americans? No, <laughs> no. I, and it was just, a, I just thought it was a very funny choice. It's like, well, you know, because everything is flattened. It's just race mm-hmm. and that's it. There's, yeah. n- it's this immutable characteristic and there's no kind of weird vicissitudes of class and of you know where people come from and you know of course that people Nigerians are coming here probably more doctors than you would you would imagine from coming across the border from Mexico whatever but it's it's something that people don't even think of and there's been a lot of academic work done on you know the average salaries of African immigrants versus other immigrants Asians for instance I mean this is I mean Asians make more again again to use Tina pointed out that she was Asian before I didn't notice 
no, yeah. don't worry. Yeah, no, 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 seriously, don't worry. This is no, this <laughs> no. is a topic I actually love talking about. No, I have no idea. Which, which is Asian is another like wonderful like. What does that mean exactly? I well, mean, considering in, in, all in of England, the various it means something cultures, very different. Right? England, right. exactly. It could be referring to Indian people or Pakistani. I mean, people, typically so it refers to Pakistanis, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, exactly. even even beyond that, I mean, if if we're only talking about Japan, China, Korea, these are tremendously different cultures, and they and they they produced very different outcomes for a variety of reasons. And they all came in. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But they also came into the United States under vastly different pretexts. Like, That's right. mm. chi- yeah, like Vietnamese Americans came in a massive wave as refugees. Koreans basically came in piecemeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they stopped in, they stopped accepting Chinese and Japanese people for like 50 years between the 1910s and 1962. Long overdue. Long yeah. overdue. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Is it obvious that that's a joke, or do I have to say so? No, it's not. You're I'm not going right. to say I've it. I made several jokes on Twitter today and realized that no one got them. So. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you're just like me. It's it's not it's not you. It's them. It's, we, can't, we can't do jokes anymore. You can't do jokes no. anymore. No, we have to we have to do it despite those people. But is there, like, Tina, and the, you're, you're Vietnamese American, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Your parents came? Grandparents? Who came? Uh, they, my parents both came on boats. Actually, mm-hmm. no, my father came on a helicopter. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, like. Not the whole way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a really good helicopter. <laughs> it was a really good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, came in what year? Um, I believe the 1980s. Okay, uh, so they spent four, five, six years under the yoke of Vietnamese communism. Yeah, my mom uh, specifically was, she tried to escape Vietnam twice. Second time she succeeded under like bizarre circumstances involving a storm that appeared at the last minute. Hmm. But she spent about 18 months in a uh, refugee camp. So mm-hmm. I guess she was, and uh, she was, was able- in Thailand? Uh, Malaysia. Malaysia. Yeah. But she was able to, I guess, petition the U.S. government well enough to not only come to the U.S., but also sponsor a lot of her family here. But she also had a brother who was in the uh, who was assisting the army at the time. So I think she was also able to leverage that. Um, But what happened the first time she tried to escape and was unsuccessful? um, I believe the Viet Cong found her and brought her back. And she also and uh, somehow she was able to sweet talk her way out of it. Also, my grandmother was really good at sweet talking Vietnamese yeah. officials. She was actually, um, if okay, as long as we're talking about my grandmother for a yeah, second, <laughs> I'll keep this to a minute. Um, my grandmother was a dirty capitalist in Vietnam. She owned a logging company. She was really fucking wealthy, but her sister was Viet Cong and kept guns in her basement. So the South Vietnamese government swept in. We're like, hey, we're going to torture you now. And she survived that. Then the Viet Cong swooped in and said, hey, you're a dirty capitalist. We're going to torture you now. Whoa. Um, so she developed a couple of coping mechanisms and hard skills along the way. Yeah. Um, and somehow, several decades later, she was able to petition the Vietnamese government to give her her property back. Yeah. Wow. Really? really? Yeah. Wow. yeah. When was that? Um, 90s, early 2000s, something when like When you that. said coping mechanisms and hard skill, I thought you were talking about drinking. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was That's going straight no, to she knew. How, well, she did know how Feral, to drink. Really. A lot of her uh, business... A lot of her uh, business deals involved going into rainforests and negotiating with tribal elders to raise their land. Wow. Uh, so it involved drinking a lot of moonshine. So, moonshine through crazy straws. <laughs> but so, I mean, does that does that sharpen kind of the differences to you between when people say Asians, as if? And, and to Camille's point, I mean, very different experiences from every single Asian country, especially as some of them were riven by war and revolution and 
conflict and the rest of it, is that, you know, people say, oh, Asian Americans as one undifferentiated group. And you have a family that that in one end was 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 mistreated by the South Vietnamese puppet regime. And another end was mistreated, um, as I assume it was broader with the with communist regime when they took over in 74 and 75. But is it, is, I mean, does that give you like a different perspective on these things when people talk about Asians? Because we love doing this in America right now. And the, in this era- Y'all really do. Yeah, in this, <laughs> in this era of like uh, identity politics, it's just like, well, well, she's Asian and that's that. You can't do that in California anymore. For like 15, 20 years now, uh, it's been, because there's enough Koreans, enough Vietnamese yeah. in mm. Westminster everywhere, Cambodians yeah. in Long Beach, whatever. Right, right. And so like the differences matter. And again, they all hate is, each other. Is guys. it okay to stop people and ask, where are you from there? Yeah. That's that's it's usually probably, frowned no, upon. Yeah. Well, yeah. actually, yeah, actually, I mean, it's not... People in, and this is something that happened to my wife a lot there too, because she speaks with a bit of an accent mm -hmm. um, and uh, might uh, look uh, exotic <laughs> in her way. Uh, what, kind, what kind of Asian? Uh, <laughs> 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 I feel obligated to ask. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel obligated to be the one to ask French. this. She's just, uh, so just French. I am a <laughs> Otherwise known as Vietnamese. But in, Calif French. in California, they don't care where, where you're from, they care what you're doing, what you're working on. That's true. Mm, that's, that's true. Uh, that's but true. In, and also, it's also, too, it's also the, like the enterprising nature of California to begin with. Yeah. Uh, but back to the original point: yeah. before you white guys take yeah. it over. Wow. <laughs> uh, Camille, Camille's black. Just if no. you're listening at home, no. <laughs> he refuses to identify as black, but he's kind of black. He doesn't. Yeah, something, yeah. something, male privilege, something. I'm, something. I'm, more, I'm, I'm more than my phenotypic traits. Yeah, uh, not much. <laughs> A little bit. But yeah. A little bit. Um, but yeah, there's like it. The only reason I think Asian American identity really comes up in the larger political discussion is college admissions. That's mm. literally it. And no. it's all that kind of mo model minority stuff and all that. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. They are positively discriminated against. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I mean, like after that, who no one really gives a shit like they like they go through college. They are afforded opportunities that a lot of people feel are being taken away from them, which is why you have all these like administrate like. What's it? Um, yeah. These um, affirmative action cases winding through the Supreme Court. But then mm -hmm. afterwards, like like before that, no one really cares. After that, no one really cares. It's only through that one gate do people start giving a shit about Asian Americans. But, but people care in this way. And I wonder how you react to this. If you see somebody on Twitter, if you see somebody writing an op-ed or somebody on television talking about white privilege or white Americans and they themselves are Asian, is that so it comes up in the sense now that, you know, you say nobody cares after college. It's never an issue after college. And that sort of resonates with me with what I see. But increasingly, mm -hmm. people are taking the advantage of saying, well, I'm not one of you. Like you are white. This kind of, you know, white is a pejorative, which you hear increasingly these days. And sometimes, oftentimes, I can think of a number of people that I know and people that I follow on Twitter who, who refer to themselves kind of as the other. And saying, well, white culture is this, and they are Asian. They might have even gone to Brown or you know Yale or something. How how do you think about that as somebody who says, yeah, it never really mattered after college? Well, it didn't really matter to the rest of the American populace. Mm. Like that's literally the only time that anything involving Asian Americans comes up in the mainstream media. But it still exists. It definitely still exists. Like. I get treated really weirdly because I'm Asian American, um, especially since I'm an Asian American woman. My God, G give me an example of that. Um, Spike Lee makes really mean movies about her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
<laughs> Ice no. Cube writes racist songs about that. <laughs> <laughs> that's just Korean. True, Sorry. true story. Oh yeah. God. No. Um. Let's see. So literally. Quite seriously, I once went on Bill O'Reilly to discuss this very topic, yeah. like the difference. Between I can think about nine mistakes already. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was not a good appearance. No one looked that up, please. I'm very embarrassed by it. He kind Everyone of like, look it up. Look it up. Yeah. No, he kind of like shoehorned me into talking about black people because it was during the time of Ferguson. And yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But the thing yeah. is, like, after that, I got all of these. Like responses going, oh my god, I can't believe you were an Asian person on Bill O'Reilly. Congratulations. Let me tell you about like mm. he didn't even focus on my points. They didn't even focus on what I was trying to say. It was totally just like secondary. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was just like, oh look, you're a minority and a woman who's on Bill O'Reilly. Like literally, that's it. No but one. Really, they didn't really attack me really for like even failing to make my point. But isn't this kind of the end point of uh, in this sort of negative thing about identity politics from every Americans are failing? Oh, oh, no! No! Oh, no! 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 I had a gift for you, and now I'm not going to give it to you. Give it, give it to me. Fuck you, Camille. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's I'm sorry. amazing. No, I, I brought this up. Yeah, I, you brought it up. Okay. I'm sorry, but you just you put yeah. the loaded gun on the table. Yeah. But isn't what? that the weird thing about identity politics? In a way, is that you know you have this thing with Barry Weiss mm -hmm. about the tweet, which I think was really unfair, and I know Barry, and I know what she thinks, and I. I know what she thinks of immigration and what's uh, kind of uh, uh, to be cheesy about it, what's in her heart about these things. But, you know, when 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 someone says they oh, I, I heard this the other day, I overheard it about a month ago in a coffee shop in Williamsburg of these uh, two <laughs> women. Uh, one was Asian, actually, and they were saying one woman was saying to the other of like the racism that she experiences. And someone said, where are you from? You know, and she's like, you know, I'm from fucking New Jersey. Fuck you. But at the same time, I kind of understand. I would never say that myself, but I understand the instinct to ask mm -hmm. because we have hyphenated ourselves to death. Mm. And it's a thing that we talk mm. about ad infinitum mm -hmm. is like, oh, you know, I am this. I am that. Like, Camille, like you're Jamaican. Right. And like you can use that. You can use it in a weaponized way. You can use it in a casual way. Yeah. But when somebody else, you know, trespasses on that sacred thing yeah. and you say, oh, where are you from? And then and then it's, the story is always the same. And you say, I'm from California or whatever. And they say, well, then they said, where are you actually from? But, you know, it's it's a clumsy way of saying where are your grandparents from. And they're usually trying to be nice about it yeah. mm. and saying that we're all from different places and I'm mm. great and you're great, too. And it might come across in a bad way. But, you know, let's look at the intent of it. It's usually well-intentioned. I mean, it's a, it is sometimes it's, not. I don't no, know, I mean, but it usually is when I see it. I mean, it can be, but it also does kind of slap one in the face going like, hey, uh, you're really not from here. Why are you here? Um, are you the good kind of being here, like being a Vietnamese person? Or are you the bad kind of being here? Uh, depending on who's, who's the bad one. <laughs> <laughs> in, black, in black pajamas, <laughs> although swooping hats and black pajamas. There's a couple of psychos no, in Orange no, County, no. California. Yeah. 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 No, I'm actually sometimes the Vietnamese people are the bad ones. One person actually um, on Twitter once said that the Vietnamese, like Vietnamese people, are the Mexicans of Asia's. Oh, wow. Yeah. To you? Is that to a bad, me, yeah. Is that a bad serious? thing or a good thing? So really good at I art think they, I and think great they, food? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Work really hard and are enterprising. Think, oh. I don't really think I that think the person who tweeted <laughs> that at me was that nuanced or educated <laughs> about the rich Mexican <laughs> yeah. culture. Yeah, exactly. Well, they were just racist. Well, let me, let me pull back a little bit, although this is actually a really good um, sort of setup for a conversation that I recorded with Amy Chua yesterday. Yeah. I believe it is Chua because yeah. she, not because her last name is Chua and that is an 
an Asian last name it for is. whoever might think that <laughs> it is. Incidentally, it is, yeah. Um, yeah. But because she wrote a book called Political Tribes. Um, and, and she wrote the Tiger Mom book, too. She also wrote the Tiger Mom book. Um, and Which people asked me a lot if I empathize with. It. So, <laughs> yeah. so there's racism mom. right there. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but I, I think she, we had a really, really um, interesting, great conversation and a subsequent email exchange about some, some various things that are happening in the news cycle. But we'll talk more about that later. But I did want to maybe transition to something else, see if we can get one more thing in there before we run away. Um, Facebook Russia crazy shit, um, which there have been things happening on both sides of the pond that dramatically affect uh, our politics and at this point seem to potentially be on the verge of creating maybe some regulatory changes, uh, possibly. Uh, at, at a minimum, people are are incensed about several things that have happened. First, uh, obviously, the vote hacking or whatever the hell it is um, that whatever we're calling it anyways, um, with the Russians spending money on political advocacy and potentially setting up, well, not potentially, but setting up groups on Facebook, whatever the consequence of that all is, is hard to say. But they didn't only do that here in the United States trying to influence a presidential election. Apparently, they spent $5 or something on Facebook <laughs> trying to influence the Brexit vote as well. Um, and more recently, there is something like 50 million user data things that have been sucked up by some company called Cambridge Analytica that no one had heard of until recently. Um, not knowing if you were in politics and you were accepting money from certain families, you kind of had to use Cambridge Analytica and take their money and spend it with them. Um, but in either case, folks were very upset because it sounded like maybe the Trump administration's hired guns had been taking user data and targeting them in this very sophisticated way to swing the election. It was cheating. Um, of course, the important thing with all of that is it's just never really put in the context. I don't know how impactful the Cambridge Analytica stuff was. I don't know how impactful the Russian ad were in the United States or elsewhere. But in either case, it's created a significant media firestorm. Um, and we have seen some polling recently. Axios had a poll um, that they did, uh, I believe, this week um, that showed that Facebook is definitely seeing some significant yeah, impact yeah. Yeah. on their brand credibility sure. and that users um, of Facebook who were who were polled have said that, yes, they do believe that Facebook has had a negative impact on their democracy and that Facebook has an obligation to do a great deal more <laughs> to protect their democracy. By the way, these are the, market- same, these are the same people who believe the headlines they read on well, Facebook. This is the, it's the same. <laughs> it's the same. Kind of complicated. Although yeah. the, their market yeah. cap has dropped significantly in the past couple of weeks. Who's so. that, Facebook? Yeah. 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 Like I'll tell you, I'll tell you what hasn't cut down at all anymore. These these weird random emails that I get or messages that I get on Facebook, mostly from my uncles. Um, and they're just like, hey, it's National Brother Day. I was thinking about you. Send this to seven people. If you get back seven responses, yeah. that shit has not let up at all. They are never going yeah. to give up on Facebook. I already have, but mostly because of them. But clearly all of this stuff has some pretty profound implications potentially for our politics, but add to that the this geopolitical factor mm. and the the weirdness that happened in Russia a couple of weeks ago, um, not in Russia, in the UK, actually, mm. where a spy was apparently poisoned or some shit. I can only pay so much attention to so many different things. I really don't know what's going on. So maybe you can give us some sense of what's happening there and then maybe we yeah, can kick well, this around a little you know, bit. You I, know, I would love Tom to talk about the Cambridge Analytica because it was Channel 4 in the UK that actually 
blew this story or non-story, depending on how you look at it, <laughs> open, and they are Some a British company. Videos, but on yeah. the on the Screeple uh, poisoning, the interesting thing about this is to see the response from the West, and it's been been a sort of flaccid responses in the past. And people say, well, God, why would they do something like this? Why would the Russians do something? Well, one of the reasons you could say is that the Alexander Litvinenko assassination uh, resulted in absolutely nothing. There was nothing happened to the Russians adversely. You know, it's uh, what's his name? Uh, Alexander Lugovoy, the man who's the suspect, is actually a member of the Duma now mm -hmm. and uh, a big crypto fan, by the way. That's his big mm -hmm. issue now. So because he's sanctioned. Do you know what kind of coin he's in? Uh, I think he's in Ethereum because oh. Vitalik Buterin is Russian. Good to know. Um, just so you know. Uh, but it's a way to get around. Sanctions. He's going to go to the fifth coin. Here pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to start it a little bit. Launching later. soon. Yeah. A market, we'll, have your, a we'll have your chance to participate in our wonderful, totally <laughs> legitimate <laughs> ICO. Yeah. Our, our ICO money. Yeah. This Ponzi scheme. Our market cap of $48. Um, but no, I mean, the interesting thing about this is you have 17 countries, yeah. I think was the last count, uh, actually uh, expelling now. What does that actually mean? I mean, we we got rid of sixty people in the U.S. Closed the the consulate in Seattle, mm -hmm. uh, ostensibly because it's 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 near a submarine base, but it's an incredibly stupid thing. To, it's near a submarine base. Well, why the fuck did you open it in the first place? <laughs> it's amazing. Did you not know that there was a submarine base there in the? You know what? Maybe the real estate was cheap. Maybe it was for you. What are they going to do, San Francisco? What are they going to do? To the submarine base. I, the take, have you take never seen the Americans, Matt? Yeah, yeah. They're they're do so take, many things. Take photos of it. Yeah, it's a great uh, show. But but wow, fucking. but yeah. Look, I, mean, I, I don't I don't doubt the intelligence on this, and and you know I cannot stand the the reflexive response and. Um, I hope our friend Thad is listening because he would. I, I know he'd be having a coronary right now and flailing on the floor and saying, uh -oh. "Come on in." But it's like I don't. I don't like this idea of like, well, you got a rock wrong, so then you know you can never talk about intelligence uh, again. No, I we only use that I rule with do, John Bolton. Uh, yeah, with John Bolton. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of a nut guy. A little nutty, that guy. It's the, uh, it's the beard. He's a fucking psychopath. You know, um, he, he was on your show all the time. Exactly. Every time, by the way, just to, as a side note, every time to. Matt and Camille, I'm putting my hand very gently on Matt's shoulder. Um, I see some John Bolton thing in the past couple of weeks. It's yeah. something from your show. Yeah. It's always like John. Yeah, yeah. It's you made him. Yes. Yeah, it's true. You and Walrus Face going like, and he's like, well, we should invade Mozambique. Yeah. Like, Why? He'd he'd already, I don't know. He'd already been to the UN at that point, but yeah. I'm going to take a lot of credit here. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. I, I want to believe that I put him on Donald Trump's radar. Oh, That's you what did. I did. It was that discussion about Orwell that I think tipped over the edge. That was the sort of, you know, yeah. That's I'm the sort of thing I, Trump's interested in. Completely derailed. As a warning yeah. or as a guidebook? Yeah. I really, literary chat, I think. So this is, um, he, loves, he loves Burmese days. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where we are with this. We're but at the road to Wigan No, I'll just, I'll just, say, I'll just say this, yeah. that, that it was a fairly impressive coordinated response. And that is something that hasn't happened in a while. Will uh -huh. it have any long-term effect? The global the glo expulsions. I mean, global, I mean, it's, you know, yeah. the EU West, countries. The I mean, Western few of them are one or two people, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the Swedes uh, send out some undersecretary from the trade mission, which is uh, all the KGB agents. That's a weird, I was, was going to say, that's a weird way to say it. I mean, just but, say spy. But, well, that's what it is. Yeah. And like in Theresa May, rather, you know, impressively in some ways, um, when she was in the House of Commons, said, you know, they are spies. And she 
you know, identified these people that they were expelling as spies, which mm. you, you tend not to do. You just send them out on their way and that's it. It's a little too lacare to call them spies. Mm -hmm. But what will happen from this? The Russians have are weighing their response, we hear every day, and nothing yet has happened. Mm -hmm. So That we know a, of. That we know of. <laughs> it's a pretty aggressive response because there's a certain point at which, you know, this is George, I mean, it started with Georgi Markov in the UK, mm. where the Bulgarian dissident who got the uh, poison tip umbrella in his shin while he was waiting for a bus in London and died, you know, three or four days later. They've been doing this for some time. Do I believe somebody else did it? No. Do I believe that there might be a rogue faction? Possibly. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely this is coming from Russia. Mm -hmm. So what do you do in response? You don't do anything in response with Georgia. You don't do anything in response in Syria. You don't do anything in response in Crimea. You don't do anything in response in Litvinenko. And so why on earth would this government do something so brazen? Because we do nothing in response at all. There's, and, and you know what? Fair enough. There's not a lot we can do. I don't want them to be launching bombers over Kiev, Kiev or you know Moscow. But at the same time, this is the best that we can come up with. And it shows you in some sense that the Trump administration, who has been accused of many things, most of those accusations I agree with. But the one thing that most I can- Most of the Russian accusations? No, most of the just broad <laughs> accusations I agree with. But, but you can't at this point say that they're just stoolies of the Russians because it's, yeah, it's you, far- They will find a they'll way. They'll find a way. But at this point, it's a fairly sort of, full-throated response considering what we'd expect. I was on MSNBC the moment that this was announced. Uh -huh. And so we weren't supposed to talk about this. Yeah, but yeah. they're like, oh, this happened. So what's your quick response? And the question was somehow um, given Trump's, you know, friendliness with Vladimir Putin, is this just a way for him <laughs> to pretend like he's being tough yeah. on Putin yeah. and not doing it? She's like, maybe just does, does say any, he expelled yeah. 60 people, which is a, a large number. It's more than Obama expelled in. Really, in, uh, really, really disconcerting to, to <laughs> see that kind of response because yeah. all of it seems to suggest, no, 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 you got to do more. I mean, look, you got to kill some motherfuckers. Like, just, just take out, launch some goddamn tomahawks, <laughs> do something. Yeah, into I, a, ba I a backyard and it, uh, no, Novo Siberia. This is just this is, <laughs> what is far and away my favorite type of sanctions, which but the only type of sanctions that I like. What's is that? that? Expelling spies? Expelling spies, or you know, targeting these you know thirty-five people, oil guys who are around Putin. Uh -huh. Not broad economic sanctions, which almost never work, and they're counterproductive, and other other things like that. But if you if there are specific bad guys or that you decided are bad guys, they don't get the privileges to do the stuff in your countries. That's but, fine. But Tina wrote some... a piece called Spies and Oligarchs Are People Too and that they shouldn't be expelled. Yeah, that Isn't was a great piece, Tina. Thank you. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you really got to stop drinking the moonshine at work. You forget the pieces you write. That's yeah. tasty, that moonshine. Yeah, I, that was it was very tasty. Yeah, sorry. Why do, you, why do you have a Dimitri Medvedev tattoo on <laughs> <laughs> Like Putin, I get, but like he's like the like the she sheet filler at the Oscars. In, she goes to Brighton Beach. She doesn't <laughs> want to get a little, you know, shiv in the shin when she's out there. No, Tina, no, no, I'm, blending, I'm, I'm blending in with my communist <laughs> brethren. <laughs> no, Tina, you write a lot about all of the the bizarre goings on with the Trump administration, the 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 weirdo like firings, resignations, purges, and whatever the hell else is going on. And of course, one today, new hiring. Yeah, oh yeah, one today. Shulkin, Shulkin. Shulkin. Yeah. How how is the, the new hire who Trump almost certainly discovered on television? How does he serve the Russians' interests? <laughs> well, first, well, first of all, he did not find him on television. He was the admiral. I knew you'd know. 
Yeah, right. he, he's the admiral who gave Trump a clean bill of health and conducted the physical. Oh, so. Camille was talking uh, about Bolton. Yeah. Bolton? Yeah. No, I yeah. wasn't. No. Yeah, you were. No, I wasn't. But yeah, he gave were. him a clean no, no. bill of health. Uh, and and I, I've already seen reporting on Twitter about this. Trump really liked his television appearance while giving that clean <laughs> bill of health. Oh, 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 I'm so, not kidding. I'm not kidding. Yeah. So this is, so literally, Tom this is Tom, wouldn't surprise you? <laughs> <laughs> so Donald Trump actually sent him on television. Yeah. Yes. Tom, <laughs> yes, literally. Um, but this is a man who has been able to, you know, touch Donald Trump and go on television. So wow. this is clearly the most perfect guy. It's the same. Like yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I'm sure he has a lot. I haven't got a chance to go into his actual military history yet, yeah. but I'm sure it's uh -huh. like a fairly distinguished inoffensive, you yeah. know, his mm. like, record. Yeah. 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 But so was Shulkins. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, so was Shulkins. And then he like entered this paranoiac world where there were Trump administration appointees trying to undercut his um, plans with the VA. And he got like he made a bunch of terrible errors that actually do speak to ethical shortcomings, like trying to get his wife to fly with him on the government dime, using his um, personal security. To... At least it was his wife and not yeah. a porn star. I mean, <laughs> yeah. our standards are so low. They're falling a little bit. Yeah, but like, he also used uh, Secret Service to go run errands, that yeah. kind of thing. But at least he didn't send them to go shut up the woman who he'd been like yeah. having sex yeah. with in the Oval Office. Yeah, the yeah. thing is, he's not. Wait, Trump. that's not Trump. That's yeah. Not Sorry. Trump. This is some normal dude that we measure by normal he standards. He didn't punch Kathleen Willie's cat. <laughs> Do you remember that one? It was like my cat, Kathleen Willie was like my cat's dead. I was like, yeah, your cat was like seventy. What are you talking about? <laughs> But do you remember the great Deep thing cut. about this? Everyone forgets about Shulkin was uh, when Trump uh, was was on, at the dais. I can't remember what it was. Probably some fucking barn burning rally in the middle of like Alabama or something. And he said about Shulkin, "You're never going to hear me say the words that I say in The Apprentice to you." Uh, we'll never have to use those words. We'll never have to use those words in our David. Remember this? No. Yeah, yes. Oh, I saw that. He said, I'm never going to say Whoa. you're fired. I'll never say that. You're the best. Shulkin, my favorite. Never going to say you're fired. <laughs> no, I, I mean, like, like, did he turn into Bernie Sanders? Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe Mr. Shulkin. Again, <laughs> where he's from, I don't know. He's an admiral, he's a general, whatever. Yeah, no, he, he actually said that. He said, I'm never going to say those words. You're fired well, today. I mean, and he fired him today. <laughs> I mean, it it was safe at the time to yeah. make that assumption because he was right. passed like unanimously yep. through the Senate, and he was the only cabinet official who was able to do that. So like everyone's like, okay, nothing bad's gonna happen with Shulkin. He has. And he's, he's, an an Obama, he's an Obama. Holder. He's an Obama appointee, right? Yeah. 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 So like, the only was he the only one who survived? He was the only one, yeah. Wow. At the cabinet level, yeah. No more. Uh -huh. We we've. We've been going for a while. The, moon, the moonshine. I'm, I'm wasted. I the moonshine is totally I'm alive. Yeah. I am alive. I'm a little drunk. And I'm, I feel just great. Just warm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel great. I, a, I feel feelings I've I not a, felt in a while. Wow. Yeah, that's, what we, that's what we do here at the Hatred. Yeah. <laughs> Dislike. I have a shooting pain in my left arm. Um, I, I did. I did. Talk, I mean, you. Brexit. Yeah, obviously, your publication is, has, has had has had a, num a number of people from your publication like have strong Ted. feelings about Brexit. We are 100 percent pro Brexit. Right. Yeah. Because you're and because you're all vehement white nationalists. Yeah. Um, could you explain <laughs> the a lovely introduction? Could yeah. you explain uh, the connection between your intense racial 
hatred yeah. of the other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and yes. leaving the EU, which is obviously wonderful. Which is um, yeah. I mean, I, honestly, like you don't have to explain that, but nah, I, I feel like I'm supposed to I'll ask a question. Yeah. No, but how about you just tell us what the fuck <laughs> is happening with Brexit now? Is that's it a, too? Is it going? That's a great anywhere? question, Michael. What's Moynihan. going on? Thank it's you. Very I, I sound like Jeff Green on. <laughs> what is going on? What's going on? I have so many questions. That's a great save. Yeah. What's going on? With, like, what the fuck is going on with Brexit? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'd like to establish that we were pro-Brexit for surprisingly non-white nationalist reasons. Oh, you know? surprisingly. Uh, so it was, yeah. Is that possible? Yeah. I know I, I know you guys have been getting the kind of failing New York Times version of what Brexit is. <laughs> uh, but actually... Times doing very well, by the way. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but ne- <laughs> nevertheless... Get that subscription money. <laughs> us as many people pro-immigration but nevertheless care about the democratic question which is obviously a big thing with the European Union where it's at at the minute uh, it's a little bit of a shit show insofar as first of all you've got a a lot of this kind of slightly Russia linked scandals in relation to not so much Cambridge Analytica but it's Canadian affiliate which supposedly the Leave campaign was somewhat involved with Mm -hmm. and that's it's complete nonsense. It's basically this idea that uh, a small amount of money was passed to a subsidiary campaign and blah, 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 despite the fact that the Remain campaign overspent it in the same way for various reasons. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make is the fact that any instance and any little bump in the road, any little very minor scandal is basically being used as an attempt to try and reverse the whole thing. There's still calls for a second referendum. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in terms of the negotiations itself, which I think if you ever really knew how the EU worked, we're never going to go well insofar as they're not that interested in getting a good deal from us. All they're really interested in is the political imperative, which is keeping the European Union together. Those um, negotiations going pretty badly as it is. What about a second referendum? We hear about this a lot. Mm. And, you know, I think, like, good God, well, the people voted on it. Are you going to just keep voting until they get it right? But that's what Scottish people do. It's right? not just, it's, it's, this <laughs> yeah. is also what the EU does. So, for instance, every time that an EU treaty um, or the EU constitution, as it then was, were put before European electorates, so the Irish um, rejected the Lisbon Treaty, they waited 12 months and made them vote again. The French revoted, um, <laughs> voted against the EU constitution. They repackaged it as the Lisbon Treaty fine, fine and then the pushed Irish. it through. Yeah. So this is kind of how referenda work, unfortunately, in the European Union. The problem with Brexit, I think, is that because it was such a blow to the EU, which is such a horrendous anti-democratic institution, if this doesn't come off, I think the significance of that would be a lot bigger and a lot worse from my perspective. But at the moment, it just seems like the EU has the upper hand. But do you suspect that there, w- there, there, there will be, and I've seen this on, on Newsnight and Question Time and all mm. the stuff people talking about this, do you suspect that there will be or a serious push for a second referendum? I think the, the problem is, is that there's so many different ways this can go. So on the one hand, it's quite clear that the public don't want a second referendum, but also it's how the calculus changes, for instance. Like the way in which the negotiations are going is pretty terrible. So therefore it becomes a choice between absolutely terrible deal or maybe we'll let you stay in by the back door that becomes an option Um, as well as the fact that it's then well maybe we'll have a general election because there's no faith in Theresa May and therefore you elect a Jeremy Corbyn government which etc 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 so the big problem is the fact that the thing that people have to remember about Brexit is this is something that majority voted for more people vote for Brexit than they've ever voted for anything in Britain ever no party no individual no whatever and yet all of the main parties opposed it and that is really at the heart of how difficult it's proving to implement. And if it doesn't happen, it's going to be a huge problem. This is the, the sort of TV question that you get because you need them in little bites. Give me in 60 seconds, mm. <laughs> perhaps less if you can do it. If you give me spiked uh, your case, Brendan's case, the general case am- mm-hmm. amongst the people on your editorial staff, because it's a very pro-Brexit uh, staff, 
Um, give me the case for Brexit in 30 seconds, 60 seconds. I think the best argument against Brexit I ever heard was from a British left winger called Tony Benn. He said, I'd rather have a bad parliament than a good king. And the European Union exists to limit democracy, to redirect it. The most powerful bit of it is its huge civil service. The parliament has absolutely no role. And fundamentally, it's an exercise in limiting democracy because they took exactly the wrong lesson from World War II, which is that democracy is the problem rather than its alternative. And I think that that gets to the heart of the EU. It's an anti-democratic institution. And if you want to um, have a proper democracy under a nation state in Europe, you have to leave it. You just made a case for Brexit by quoting Tony Benn. Yeah. Wow. That shows you that Spiked was once LM, was once living <laughs> Marxism. <laughs> Tony Benn, the, the socialist Tony Benn. Well, there you go. That's That was a great little capsule uh, capsule description. Well, I, I think we should probably punch out of here. I think so, because I'm mm. too drunk to I'm, go any further. I'm pretty inebriated. We usually do this thing at the end of the podcast called uh, Some Idiot Wrote This. Oh, shit. Do uh, I have you an have, idiot? Do you I have an opportunity to, uh, to, to give some shine to something that you've read this week, today, five minutes ago, maybe something that you wrote yourself <laughs> that you're ashamed of. Let me, do, let me do this, because you know what I do? I take screenshots of headlines and send them to all my, like, asshole reactionary friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just, I, all I have to do is look at my photos and see what I sent today. Oh, this is a good one. <laughs> this is actually not, I, can I tell you a tweet that I that I got I got, to, I got um, the other day? Of course you it, can. This is funny. Uh, <laughs> it said uh, at MC Moynihan, "You need your own show on Vice." Okay, that was the tweet. And I was like, "Oh, that's super nice. <laughs> I really like that. That's really nice of you." And then I went to his profile and I saw a pinned tweet. This is the person who said <laughs> I should get my own show. His pinned tweet. Anyone who doesn't like cilantro can suck my ass. <laughs> and that was from Cilantro Daddy 69. 69. So this wait, is like, wait, wait, this wait. Is a you didn't of yours realize. <laughs> you didn't realize that this was the type of person yeah. that sucked yeah. my ass. So, <laughs> so wait, had you, had you liked the tweet about uh, you getting uh, your own show? Uh, no, I didn't like just, it. Oh, you only liked it in I your definitely, heart. I definitely didn't uh, like that isn't, tweet. Isn't that tough when that happens, when someone says something that's yeah. like really, yeah. really nice about you and you can't? can't like it. Yeah, I just like it. it too much. Yeah, because I look at it and it's like, you know, you should have your own show. And yeah. by the way, the Armenians totally deserved it. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? That's awful. That's, that's not, that that's is not, awful. That's not what I meant. That's awful. I meant that it goes a little too it's far. A, it's a Turkish account. Like, Camille, uh, you're incredible and I bet you're great in debt. Uh, can like, I? I can't like that. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, Milo. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, come on. It's fine. I'm having flashbacks. Um, uh, well, I'll say this uh, one. I'll tell you one thing. This is not something that read this this is a headline thing that i hate uh -huh. that i saw on flipboard or apple news or something it was during the the gun march this is a headline and it's this style of headline that i fucking can't stand and this is the headline sir paul mccartney who was at the the march by the way, here in new york city um sir paul mccartney's reason for attending the march uh for our sorry let me talk to it again can you cut that back? I'm drunk. Uh -uh, no. Sir Paul McCartney's reason for attending the March for Our Lives will make your dad cry. Only dad? Yeah. What? So this is yeah. this thing that fucking idiot millennial journalists do. They'll make it'll make your dad cry. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? And I clicked through, and it was because he made a reference to John Lennon. And he said, some of my best friend, my best friend was killed by gun violence close to here because he was marching on the Upper West Side. Will make my da your dad cry. I don't like this. I'm sorry. <laughs> wait, I don't wait, like wait. this trend in headlines. And BuzzFeed does this a lot. It's like, here's something that will you, you show your dad. And I'm like, I like the fucking Beatles. 
What is what is the problem? And Matt, a, incidentally, has been bombarding me all oh week <laughs> with Beatles playlists for a fortnight, really, for a fortnight, which uh, which you know Tom will know is two weeks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, by the way. Maybe Phil at home. Yeah, no, I know. It's all right. No, sorted. Yeah, sorted. It's all right. No, yeah, cool. Yeah, no, cool. You've been working on that all week. No, yeah, no, 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 cool. Cheers. Yeah, no, cheers. That's we end this. Yeah, no, crap. All do Noel Fielding accents. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So, uh, who was a Soviet spy? But can we go ahead. <laughs> Noel Fielding was a everything's spy. a circle. Yeah. <laughs> so Matt was there. I'm just rambling because I'm drunk. But can you tell me what shitty things you read this week that Camille or Michael Moynihan didn't write? Uh, I'll, I'll actually <laughs> flip it and make a recommendation, which was uh, given to me originally. Uh, oh, that's lame. Uh, by Michael. Uh, no, you uh, oh, and uh, and Joanna oh, in, encouraged us yes. to watch uh, Humanity by Ricky, Ricky Gervais. Oh, it's mm. so good. Very good. A very, oh, it? it'll be yeah, of interest great. to uh, listeners to this podcast. It's a free speech creed accord. Mm. But mm. my my one, uh, and it's also uh, about uh, becoming an old uh, fat shit like yeah. you are, Moynihan, and I am even more. Um, I am much thinner than you. A lot thinner. <laughs> a lot <laughs> thinner. Cocaine Thank God this is, is a, a hell of a drug. <laughs> um, Twice a week. It's not a big deal. But uh, that, uh, but everybody's uh, every comedian is doing the same show. At this point, yeah, like Dave Chappelle, Ricky Gervais, I presume no, Chris, Jerry Chris Seinfeld Rock is doing Chris a Rock, different show. They're all yeah. doing the funny. same show, which is yeah. like, hey, it, it is still funny. Chris and he's Rock very funny. wasn't funny. Yeah, I hear Chris Rock is kind of uh, uh, losing it. He's uh, just uh, cashing big paychecks from super, super Amazon woke. or whatever. But yeah. uh, but it's all about like free speech, and you people need to stop taking such offense. I I did I shot a piece that will be on the show. I hope in a couple of weeks, uh, and I can't give away too many details. But we shot an element of it at the Comedy Cellar. In New York City, which is, you know, the mm-hmm. kind of church of the comedian's comedian. And uh, the first, you know, they, they do these things. They put these thing, people's names on the board, which if you Google them, they don't come up. It's because it's a, some sort of secret guest. And the first person was Amy Schumer. Um, and then David Tell did a great set. Mm. Judy Gold, who I spent the evening with and and who was fantastic. And everyone... In bed, um, uh, the evening? Judy's a lesbian, by the way, just that, for the record. It's just weird um, of you to put it that I, way. I would, it's because strange. she's fucking hilarious. It sounded like you wanted to imply that. <laughs> and I, you know, I, mean, I spent the night with her. It's inappropriate. <laughs> I, uh, hold on, let me, look, can we start the beginning? Uh, so I slept with her, and it was really, it was really awkward. I, I like Judy. And she's gay, but it didn't matter, because okay. we, we're all one it's or okay. something. Uh, that's my Bhagwan thing. Um, and by the way, every person that came up on stage did a thing about free speech. Every single person. Hmm. They came up on stage and was like, if you don't like this, go fuck yourselves. Walk out now because I'm about to do some raw shit. And some of the jokes were fucking brutal. Brutal. And there, I saw hmm. and I kind of panned and we had two cameramen down there. Huh. One was trained on audience reactions and they were, they were mixed. Yeah. They were mixed because mm-hmm. it was spring break. Uh, a lot of colleges were out, and there were a lot of people just like didn't know how to react to them. Well, thank God and, for that. And, and 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 you know, like Ricky Gervais' special, yeah. the great thing about it is it reminded me of Don Rickles' record "Hey Dummy," which is a fantastic. I've talked about it in the show before. Nineteen sixty-eight at the Sands does the most brutal set, brutal. Like you know, does race, you know, gender, sexuality, everything. Sixty-eight, and then he con- at the end he takes five minutes, and again this is sixty-eight. And does this thing in the Don Rickles way, where he's, you know, he goes to the guy in the front front row and he's like, you know, you're colored, I'm a Jew. You know, we're all one. And he does this long riff on it's just comedy. Gervais does that in his special. 
So he does an encore and comes out and talks about why comedy is important. And these guys that I saw in the cellar were doing it in a microscopic way because they're doing 10, 15 minute sets to the cellar, right? And they were doing it, ev everyone that went up did it. And it was like, guys, this is, we're just fucking around. And if we can't laugh at this, et cetera. But it was a really kind of heartening thing. But everyone I talked to afterwards said, you know, the difference between comedy today and 10 years ago is there's a chasm that separates it. And we're nervous about doing jokes. And, and, and you know, Judy, like her rawest, meanest joke, and she fucking hates Trump more than anyone I've ever met in my life, was an anti-Trump joke that made people almost leave. And I'll tell you after the show. Excellent. It's really good. Mm. Excellent. It's really, really so, bad. Anything good, bad, otherwise? Um, for me, it's just learning that the theme of Burning Man this year is iRobot. Explain. Um, there's still, hold on, let me pull it up right now. This year's art theme will focus on the many forms of artificial intelligence that permeate our lives from the humble algorithm and its subroutines that sift us, sort us, and surveil us to automated forms of labor that supplant yeah. us. Are we entering golden age that frees us all from mindless labor? Everything, it seems, depends on HMI, the human-machine interface, mm -hmm. in a world increasingly controlled by smart machines. Who will be master? And who will be the slave? Yeah, Oof. and you know what happens after someone says that to you? Can we take mushrooms and have sex in the desert? <laughs> <laughs> that's what thought, it's about. I thought it's that's about what happened at, at Burning Man. What is yeah. going on? Yeah, yeah, no, they have like this fake fucking thing like that. It's like, okay, so are you done? Can can I get a hand job in my like mask? Can I go to the group shower sponsored by Doctor Bronner's, which is a thing? No, it's not. Yes, it is. Doctor Bronner's. Okay, if you, if this is fake, Anthony, cut this out. But Dr. Bronner's, I think last year at Burning Man, sponsored oh a group shower where everyone could just go in there naked and Holy take a shower. And it was apparently very PC for... That's awful. Next week, the, the fifth column will be coming from <laughs> live from the sand I crack. swear to God, I'm going to make a joke after this that you would have to cut out. But wow, that's amazing. Seems like it's been an annual thing for several years now. Wow. Oh. Anthony's like researching. He's like Baba Booey. Yeah. He's, he's booking tickets. He's doing. Oh, shit. So what you got? Well, someone sent this to me earlier because um, all the sort of mania about the Cambridge Analytica stuff and how they're controlling the world and manipulating sure. people's minds. And then someone sent me this article. It's only six months old. It's from the New York Times. And the headline of it talking about um, your man Nix from Cambridge Analytica says, data firm says secret source aided Trump, semicolon, many scoff. So oh, it just shows you that not really? long ago, most people realized that these guys were a bunch of hucksters. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was in the Times? That was in the New York Times. Six yeah. months ago. Many yeah. Exactly right. off. Yeah. Tina, and, you're writing about this tomorrow. And 16 months before that, it was like, the Obama campaign did such a wonderful <laughs> job. Little more than, than, six, than, than, uh, than a couple of years before, right? I mean, that's that's... You're was drunk. the thing. It, you're, yeah. Drunk. Yeah. Yeah. you're drunk. You're drunk. Rabbit. You're I don't drunk. know if I yeah. brought Rabbit. anything else. We out. Oh, oh um, before we go, can I uh, give you all oh, my shit? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so before we... She's got a gun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. Even better. Oh, um, uh, yeah. So before we started taping, Mike and I were talking about Christopher Hitchens, who I feel like is kind of our crank forefather yeah. um, and so I thought it would be appropriate to get you all a gift that he would have both loved slash also been 
completely baffled by. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Jane oh my God. Walker Black. The Johnny Walker it's Black the one, label. It's the one with the women. lady. It's the lady one. It's I the love, lady whiskey. I, I love when people bring us gifts. No, because I thought it was the most appropriate gift to bring y'all. That, that is, is amazing. He's also a Vanity Fair alum. Yes, so yeah, of course. Every, everything is perfect about this gift, I Look feel. Look at that, except for the woman on the bottle. TNT. Uh, <laughs> I'm No, no. It's a joke. I don't. I drank one. I drank Johnny Walker Black before there was a woman on the bottle. Everyone drank Johnny Walker Black before. Is it different? Uh, Well, the proceeds do go to um, women's charities, which is nice. Uh. But the entire thing (laughs) was that, like, oh look, there's a woman on the label for women who felt scared of drinking whiskey in the past. But is she shaped for women or? Oh my god, it 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 smells different too. It smells like a lady. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, 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 wait. When was the last time you smelled a lady? I'm, old. I, I'm, I'm gay and celibate, so. <laughs> and I'm drinking this out of the bottle. Um, yeah. uh, Whoa, you bastard. Uh, sorry. I mean, chlamydia doesn't do that. In the, it's very, it <laughs> dies when it hits the thing. Well, I had a, I had a beautiful... I had a, can, I, can you get HPV from me? Yes. I, I already have it. Uh, uh, I had a beautiful time with all of you. Why are we not on serious Grateful anymore? for your friendship. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Bye. 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 We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Win. So do it again. Win. Win. That's close enough. I mean, I, I'm just, saying, no, no, I just no, no. said the word uh, win. A very yeah, common that's... Vietnamese name, which if you cannot pronounce, which if I was decided this, is it, did you lose or did you win? That's It's not right, but just say win. Yeah. Win. Yeah. It's, it's not right, though. It's Nguyen. The thing Nguyen. is Nguyen. Like, there's yeah. a G stuck in the back of your throat yeah. that yeah. English speakers can't yeah. pronounce. Yeah. Yeah. Nguyen. 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 Is like, that not good? That was me. Nguyen. Nguyen. There needs to be more of a G in there. Nguyen. Nguyen. If when, I try to do that, I, yeah. it's a, there's a buzz. Man. Yeah. yeah. This was the cold when. open. <laughs> that's, actually, that's actually the best way to do it. When. Yeah. When. When. It sounds like an old when. car horn. Wow. Uh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>